special edition, the NBA Finals preview from A to Z, then back to A again. And we got a full house here to my right, Wise Guy Roundtable, at the man, at the, the, the adult table, A.J. Hoffman, a, a guy who's surgeon in his NBA knowledge. <laughs> Surging or surgeon? Surging from almost zero. I, well, listen, you start, start at the bottom, as they say. That's what the kids I mean, say. You would agree you weren't an NBA guy, right? No. And now you've become a guy that's like... You know, I'm grinding on the NBA. Let's be honest. He was a fan of Golden State. I mean, to some degree, he's been vindicated. We'll see. We'll see. Steve Fezzik, the only two-time Super Contest champion. How you, how's your NBA been running? 25 and 10 in the playoffs. Year to date, 69%. <laughs> 69. Yeah, it, 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 it's actually 68, <laughs> but I rounded up. <laughs> Big sexy, baby. Whoa. And Scott Seidenberg, it's a name that flows off the tongue, don't you think? It always does, especially when you say it. <laughs> From the Vegas Sports and Information Network, his show, The Look Ahead. So that's the last show before the morning show. Correct. I like that having the last word on the day. The final word. Or, or the, the first, first word, word the next if day. you're on the East Coast. And the 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. is perfect because it's too late at 1 a.m., but he does his best stuff. He wouldn't say it, but his best stuff's his first 20 minutes. Hmm. It's also the uh, you have only a lot of time opinions. where it's just me. He really doesn't like there to be any situation where he's not getting all his words out. I mean, it, he. let's just say this. There's certain guys that are meant to solo host. He's on that list, I think. It's only one if, football. If you notice something different <laughs> uh, between, you know, the first segment or and, and the other segments when there are other voices being heard on the show, that's why. But, you know, when you're the host and there's a call-in a guest, you're in control. Mm-hmm. Because one, they're they're the visitor. But if you're if you're got a co-host, sometimes I can tell you from AJ, they get mouthy. <laughs> yeah. I mean. You have to look over. It's the nonverbal communication that's important. Well, what I tend to do is just win with logic. I know I, I could pull rank and said, I said, let's really dig in. And AJ's like, ah, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Because I think we're going to have some disagreements today. Showtime! Woo! Okay. Fez, you weren't on straight out of Vegas today, so there's some takes on some stuff. I'm going to be interested to start with you, but we're going to kind of do a repeat of that show, but more expansive. Mm. And to me, that's perfect. It's in a way you could say the national radio, Fox, 225 stations, 6 Eastern every weekday. That was the dress rehearsal. And this, and I wouldn't say this exactly, but some could. People are saying that that was the dress rehearsal. This is the the opening night on Broadway. Mm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let's start with this. I personally feel, what do you make the line if you have even teams, identical teams, power ratings-wise, and one team is the home team in the seven-game series? What do you make the series price? Minus 130. All right. So I used to hear, as home court was more, I heard 150 mm-hmm. even. A little, you know, um, McKenzie did some work just today on the binomial machine and says, hey, if you have even teams and one's home and this line effectively is going to be three points, either um, favorite or dog based on if you're home or away, and only when there's a seventh game does it matter, right? Mm-hmm. The, now, that's interesting. Would you say there's other advantages? Because there's two home games first. Is there an advantage to having the home f- court other than the extra home game. No. 
So having the two, because you can get the four easier at home. So if it's 3-1, having that fourth or that third home game before the other team has to be an advantage, right? Nope. Because don't think of it as the first team to four. Just think of it, they're going to play... Well, it is the first team to four. Nope, just think of it, don't think of it that way. Think okay. of it as you're going to play seven games, but once the team has won four, they, they clinch. But just assume they're going to play seven games. Hey, guess what? One team's going to get four homes, one team's going to get three. Never going to change anything to I play mean, all seven. You just kind of repeated the... The, the you just repeated the rationale of it not being any different as if it were fact, except you didn't really lend any extra insight, did you? I mean, help me understand it. Okay. Uh, why does it... If, if these weren't humans, I could see your point. But let's be honest. When you're down three, statistically, no one should be undefeated up three. All right. Now you bring up a good point. So now... Initially, we said each team should be laying three mm-hmm. at home. So, given if that's, they're even, if they're even, given that's the case, you can play all four of your home games right away, and then I'll play my three home games. As long as the spread remains minus three, it does not matter the order mm-hmm. that you play in. If you're not being psychological, if you're not using psychology, but you bring up a good point. They're now, all robots. <laughs> yes, you bring up a good point that, and and for years, you know, and I'm not even a hundred percent. I heard, I heard two, two, two the form is is it two oh, two been, one one one? It's been since, years since 2014, 2015. Yeah, so they, they don't two, do the one, three. One, one. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. If yeah. you think back to the times a team goes up 2-0, and then they won the first. The other team wins the first two. That fifth game at home for the for the away team uh, in the series actually was. Sca- Remember the it gets scary because even if you're up three two now you got to win one. It changes the dynamic. I used to totally. make the argument that the two three two benefited the team that didn't have home court advantage. You win one of those two games on the road. That's it. You you got home court for three that games. Oh, you just close it out with the three in a row. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, it do, but now, mathematically, I, it doesn't matter as long as there's no but psychological. Humans, yeah, yeah, but they are humans. But the, with the zigzag, you know, and I think you. But the zig, that's interesting. The zigzag works, except it doesn't really work if you're scared of. Lo- it's almost like you got to win, but it feels like you can be fearful of losing. And once you start losing, the momentum. Remember, like we were talking about in the Philly Toronto. If Toronto won one more game, it was like, oh man, that's gonna be because there's the psychology of it. Yeah, and that, and that happened when you know the Lakers had the two games at home against Detroit, and they were like a four to one favorite, and they split. And then they went to Detroit, uh-huh. and they lost Game Three, and and Games Four and Five were in Detroit, and you could just see it. They're like, that's a great example. We got to win one here. Yeah. So I agree. Mm. Psychologically, mathematically, though, it's got to impact the spread for it to matter the order. Think to the famous Bulls-Utah final Jordan series in which if, 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 if Utah wins that game six— they're favored, yeah. They're, well, yeah, they I stepped on you. No, 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 no. But they'd be slight favorites. I think Utah. Yes. Now, I don't know if they would have been just because it's Jordan in, in a must-win mm-hmm. game. But that would have been a game seven in Utah— Boy, that feels different than if the game six is at a different place in game seven. So it's not only the middle three, it's six and seven being the same yes. place. That's interesting. What do you, what's your gut feeling, AJ? Yeah, mine is kind of similar to what you said, at least to start. I, I think that that's probably the the most accurate representation. I don't know that I, I really understood what Steve was saying at first. He was saying it like it was like so obvious, except no one understood it. Thank God I'm here, Steve. I tend, when Steve says stuff I don't understand, I just tend to assume it's right unless someone explains I, to me I otherwise. Still, I still don't think I explained well. I think you explained it well, but well, <laughs> I let, black box what I said without the rationale for why. But let's think about this now. So, Mackenzie, oh, go ahead. I, I, was, I kind of think you were almost hinting at something, RJ, that I think it's 
I think it's, it's at least I believe this, that the home court advantage is more important in games one and two of the series than later on. It feels like if you win the first two, statistically, the number of series that that team ends up winning it is so high. Yes. It feels like there's some psychology to you got to win four out of five. That's what people think, and, man, that's tough. I and think it's, it's just the bounce back going five, six, seven in three different locations, and I don't think that home court matters as much. You know, and we've seen in these playoffs. Look at the Celtics and Heat in Game Five, Game Six, and Game Seven. Uh, I, I think it's more valuable in Games One and Two, and oh, then I'm, conversely I'm, Three and Four. For the I'm going to disagree. Game Seven, it's the home court is is bigger than any other. Game. So I've got the the numbers on Game One of the NBA Finals. The home team wins at a 77 percent rate, 57 mm-hmm. out of 74. And then uh, Game Seven of the NBA Finals. There's been 19 in history. The home team came out. 15 times, so 79%, 15 out of 19. So it's games one and seven. Now, I would have guessed strongly. Which I I think that makes sense, games one and seven. I would have guessed strongly that game seven in the finals would have been less severe for the home team because, in theory, you have very even teams. In all these other rounds, you can have one versus eight. I, I agree with you, and well, I just, that tells me the psychology of it's huge. A game seven at home, the for whatever reason in the finals, in the yeah finals. for what I don't know if it's all psychology. I don't know if the refs get swayed by the frenzied crowd. I don't know the reasons. I just know teams do real well at home in NBA playoffs. Game seven, but but I guess the point I'm making is is if I would have said okay, there's two universes of games. One is all the games before the finals that were game sevens. And all the games in the finals in Game 7, which one has the higher win rate for the home team? It would only be logical to say the non-finals games because there's going to be so many mismatches in which the yeah. home team is just so much better. And right? Game 7, these teams have proven to be you know, in the same Well, it's uh, one thing to be in the finals. See, I disagree with that. I think there's a lot of Game 7s that it feels preordained. The, you, what, was the fi- what was the line in the Phoenix-Dallas? The fact it went the other way is the fluke of it. Is that six and a half? I mean, it's like that's a high. That's saying that this team is they, they split 3-3, but they're not even teams. They're not even close is and what the assumption that's was. That's a good point because like there was that series, Atlanta was playing Boston with that Garnett team that won the championship, and and it was a, I think it was a one eight, and it went seven games. Yeah, and I mean, there were, yeah. Jordan went seven with the Knicks a couple of times. I guess what I'm saying is, it feels like once you get to the finals, most of the time these are going to be fairly even teams. Mm-hmm. If we just took the average line of all playoff series, other than the finals and the finals, the finals line is going to be, be much, a lot lower. That's a great point, right? So winning game sevens at such a rate speaks to psychology, mm-hmm. or it could be Bill Russell has a bunch of those. And, you know, that's an interesting thing. What's it been since 80 would be an interesting question. There's all, So the one in 2016 that the, the Cavs be, uh, beat the Warriors, Yeah, that's the only time since 1978 that it's happened. Ooh. Okay, so it's even been a higher win rate is what you're saying in the modern era. Yeah, so the, the four times in history that it's happened, 69 and 74 Celtics, the 78 Bullets, and then the 2016 Cavs. Oh, we, we, okay. We almost went 42 years without it. I mean, that game could have gone either way in 2016. But Kyrie's a winner. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we had a time shift. Somewhere we were – I don't know exactly where we're going to cut it, but we started talking about Kyrie, and that we keep in early. You guys just heard it. And then we shifted to general politics, and Scott was throwing some crazy theories out. You got to listen to it. He, I mean, he's got a Nixon and 72 pin that he wears. It's really, I mean, the whole, the, the. I mean, I'm with Ike. <laughs> I like Ike. 
<laughs> oh, Ike. It's funny. You look at some of the political stuff. When I, uh, Real quick. The famous thing is a president in his last speech is supposed to warn the country of what he sees as a problem coming up. So Washington was like, we got to stay out of Europe's business. That was his thing after eight years. And Eisenhower had an amazing speech about the military industrial complex. The only five-star general ever in this country. Like literally, he was as high in the military as anyone's ever been. He ran the entire allies in WW2 and won for democracy. And after eight years in the White House, he's like, man, these military people, how much money they want to spend, how much, how it's like a self-feeding system, be careful. I don't think we've heeded that warning too much. Mm. Dick Cheney. No. <laughs> no, I mean, Cheney certainly. I'm, I'm not sure if Cheney, it was love of the military. It felt like it was a love of Halliburton yeah. and his involvement with the military. Well, yes. So what year were you in the service? 98 to 02. So, and Eisenhower wasn't the only five-star general. Who else was? Uh, general Bradley was they a five-star general. four-star. No. All right. We'll have to look at it. Do you uh, have it right Doug there? Doug McArthur. No. There's do a couple. Do you have it right there? No, I can look it look up. Look it up. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious because I read that somewhere. Mm. And But if it's wrong, I want to get it correct. I mean, certainly Eisenhower was above Bradley, was above, you know. Five men have held the rank of general of the army, which is a five-star general. Uh, George C. Marshall. Right, who the Marshall Plan, right? All Douglas right. MacArthur, okay. Dwight D. Eisenhower, Omar Bradley, who the Bradley Tank is named after. Well, see, Brad in the movie Patton, Bradley was like Patton's whipping boy. That whole that's fascinating. Go ahead. And then Henry Arnold, who later became the only five-star general in the Air Force. And what Ooh. year was this Arnold? Did? Uh, I have to look up a, a separate article. No, no, it's just got their names. All right. See, listen. You would think AJ's thinking, you know, RJ signs my check. Maybe she let this one go. No, no, no. He's like firing. You know what? I love that because that means if we get through the, if everyone agrees, then we at least got a 50% chance of being right. <laughs> I mean, that, to me, that's my goal. All right. So, but, but let's say, and let's just say this, the most famous, the most, I mean, the guy got, he's the only general to be elected president since what? Washington? Yeah. And I think we had, oh no, no you, you're, this is yeah, yeah, great. Right. Yeah. You know your history. Okay, so there's been uh, over, you know, in the last 150 years, there's been one time a general, you know, has been elected. Obviously an A-plus kind of guy in the esteem of the country. To this day, it's General Eisenhower as much as President Eisenhower. In fact, General Eisenhower sounds more more natural to me, like when I hear the name. But he was worried about it. So to me, that tells a story. But anyway, if you want more of this, listen all the way to the end, <laughs> and we're going to have it. We're getting off Kyrie, which I think it's an interesting story. You got anything else on that? No, uh, no I just found cool. Andrew Jackson, William Harris, and Zach Taylor, also generals. Zach Taylor, uh, the, the Bengals coach. No, Zachary Taylor, the former oh. president of the United States. Uh, <laughs> the Bengals coach was the pre I don't know about any of this. And it, it was, this was before he had the Bengals job. Was that is that a come down or not? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it Tyler? I, I tell you this. I mean, George W. Bush wanted to be commissioner of baseball really bad. So yeah, yes, yeah, and he was. Listen, you want to talk about the steroid era in baseball? He was at the forefront. He was right there. Those Texas George W. Rangers. Bush played in the major leagues as the I'm owner of the this. Texas Rangers presided <laughs> over a major part of the steroid era in baseball. So do you think he was passing out the the, the clear and stuff? Turn the other cheek. There were no cheaters on that Rangers team. Jose Canseco and Pudge Rodriguez and Juan Gonzalez, Rafael Palmero, none. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> hey, hey. 
Hey I, Rod. I gotta yeah. do I gotta read this. The views of AJ Hoffman <laughs> are not necessarily, and in this case, not those of pregame LLC or RJ Bell, the individual. Fezzik, maybe. We don't know. <laughs> Sometimes. RJ didn't catch this. So, so AJ texts me. He's like, he's been playing blackjack. And he's like, Fez, it was a really good situation. He's got his focus cracked. And he says, I got I, 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 I got dealt a 2-3 and the dealer got a 20 and I lost on one hand. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you're going to lose a hand. It's going to happen. No, so explain something to you. you you're like a pusher with the blackjack. Like a guy, you know, the famous guy at school that's that first one's free, man. Try that crack. It makes you feel good. You know, that kind of thing. Why is that? I have a speculation. I think for sure there's some way you're benefiting now. But in addition, I think in blackjack, if you become a known guy, it's hard to play. And you're vicariously living through that because you aren't really able to play as much as you'd yeah, like. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You're right. And I think this. The but doesn't that mean it's a waste of time? It's like as soon as you get good, you can't play anymore. Well, it's actually the perfect game for the bad gambler that's playing. So that's the, why you turned AJ why Scott he's on. In me right. So, yeah. so, so yeah. instead of playing, think about this. If you went into a restaurant and I told you, you know what, you can pay cost for something, or you can pay ten times or thirty times what the cost is. Which one would you choose? Cost. Yes. So playing blackjack, basic strategy is cost. The house has about a half percent edge. Contrast that with roulette. Five percent edge. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. AJ's at home trying to do countdowns and stuff of fifty-two cards, not so he can be only minus a half a percent. Oh, by the way, go play Don't Pass and play the Don't Pass odds. Exactly. And you're going to be at a thirty percent. six percent. Exactly right. So it matters if it's ten x or twenty. If you get up to twenty x, it's like blowing. It's like yeah. It's even exactly. I'm talking two times x. You nailed it. Point six percent. So you don't need to do anything. So 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 I walk through. All I do is walk through casinos. People playing at ten to twenty percent disadvantages when it's when a fifth grader but it doesn't re- can that, play at 0.6% disadvantage so, by using the card at blackjack or playing the don't pass or the pass, I'm sorry, and taking the two times or more it's odds. don't pass actually is lower. Uh, it is, mm-hmm. but I recommend the pass because you alienate everybody at the table, so it's not fun at all. They all I, I like to do I like being yeah. <laughs> You got that edge, yes. <laughs> but the point is, I'm confused why you would say, hey, guys, there's a way you could even get your percentage lower and it takes no effort or you can work all this time and maybe just lose a little bit. And if somehow you're naturally good at it and you end up being positive EV, have fun for a while, then they're going to not want you there. Yes. Doesn't seem like, I'd rather the craps, work on my handicapping. The, the, yeah, and, yeah. and if you want a recreation play, just play the craps, pass or don't pass, take your odds, and you're going to break even Basically, um, or if you have, a, I guess, based on the rewards program in theory, yeah, you, you could over, that. you could overcome. Well, Steve, yeah. once Steve teaches you, then he shits on you for not knowing the yes. things yet. Like he shit on yeah. Scott for uh, talking about splitting twos, and then when he was just telling that story, well, of, have you met? Uh, let me introduce <laughs> you, Steve Fazek, AJ Hoffman. Yeah, when he just told me that story of me with a two-three losing to twenty, what he left out was the count was plus eight. So I was very excited. These guys are like the Karate Kid; they just want to punch. I want to learn how to punch. And I'm like, you got to learn how to block first. So block is like learn basic strategy. Well, I know. Wash Pun- all these cars. What are you going to teach punching, me how to fight? Pun- <laughs> punching is like it's like learning how to card count. So first you got to memorize the chart. <laughs> then you can memorize what your basic strategy deviations are. And then you can punch with the, um, all right, with all right. the, the card counting. Walk. Here's the- <laughs> wax on, wax off. <laughs> to close this topic, here's what you got to think about. Steve Fezzik a couple weeks ago was, was on a, as hot of a streak as I've ever seen anyone. And 
he had one of the most embarrassing shows in the history of the world. You would think this guy would learn from it. He's like the same 18-year-old kid that gets to Northwestern and somehow he gets on the chess Olympiad or the chess Pan American Games and he wins. And you would think, hey, this guy's been to the bottom. He understands what it is to be an outcast. No, no, no. He is like the he's like the kid that was getting picked on, goes to another school, he's the toughest kid, and he picks some dunkster heads in the toilet. Like he has no perspective. True or false? Pretty much. <laughs> and then Nate, I came at the beginning of the show. I said, Steve, I got a feeling you're gonna have a fall. Pride, pride before the fall, as they say. When they do your your long podcast of your life, like when you pass away, there'll be a pregame.com producer, a Steve Fezzik retrospective, and that's going to be us launching the Friends of Fezzik, right? So we're going to have certain people that have your secret handicapping tips that we're only going to sell through pregame because Friends of Fezzik. But to promote that, we'll have your retrospective. We'll have Johnny come in and speak. You know, it'll be great. We'll give him a little cut, just a little cut. To make it all copacetic. I think what happened a couple episodes ago will be one of the core parts. Yeah, of it. there's no no doubt that this, um, this is how you know Steve's head was too big. <laughs> After that episode, people were cheering for RJ. Like RJ was the good guy, and Steve was the bad guy. It's like the wrestler. They, they, it's like the heel. The turn. It really was. I mean, because anyone with any sense would say he's riding too high. Yeah, the root, the rooting for Jake the Snake Roberts now. I, like, listen, the whole time I've been here, it's like, oh, why is RJ so hard on Steve? And then this time, I was like, oh, it's about time RJ crushes Steve. His head was way too big. And you know what's funny? He's different now. I, I want to bet you now more. Yeah, you were like, it doesn't matter. I'm playing it. And he said, why do you like that pick? Because I'm playing it. It's a pick. It's Double like- a hard fourteen. <laughs> USFL five and eleven, RJ. Five. I told you up, back then to get off that goofy 11 dog. Down. Huh. All right. Hmm. So you are doing well in the NBA, as you quoted us verbatim uh, to the decimal point. What do you see as the biggest storyline in the NBA Finals? Like, like of something that's differentiating it for a better. This is so clear cut to me. I was driving in just two weeks ago. We were talking about what are, what's the line going to be Boston Golden State, all right? And the and the discussion was who's going to be favored. We knew Golden State was going to be home, but who's going to be favored? And we were going back. I was talking to different guys. I was talking with really high level NBA handicappers. And, and some people thought Boston would be favored, even though Golden yes. State had home. Yes, yes. In fact, one of the guys I know is like a really like world class handicapper, massively respected. He said, "I got Boston favored." So now, what has happened the last two weeks? That suddenly Golden State's laying one minus one fifty two or whatever it is on the series, and so what's our current number? Because minus one fifty five for the Warriors, and yeah, Golden State's you know they've exceeded expectations. You think it's moved like seventy cents. It's moved, which should be if it was minus one ten, each strikes forty two cents. Versus what we, we were debating who was going to be favored. We mm-hmm, had we had mm-hmm. discussions in both directions. Well, you're saying the one guy had Boston as a small favorite. Uh, some other now, guys had Golden State small favorite. Call Peckham. All right. Yeah. So. Does that make you feel like there's been too much? Do you feel like what we've seen in the interim warrants that movement? No. Okay. Because Boston has not underachieved. We've spoken about, yeah, they haven't they? No. Let's let's pose this round table. Start with you, Scott. Is from the first game of the Miami Boston saying before the series, pre flop, as they say, to now, have you upgraded Boston, downgraded, or kept them the same? Kept them the same. AJ. Slight downgrade. 
Now make the case. Uh, late game decision making is a real problem with this team, and I, I don't know that it's going to get back. The fact that that game seven even became close at the end is almost unacceptable. It and felt like they did it. They had been to the fi- conference finals three times. They were right on the cut. I mean, up 13 with how much time left? Two minutes. It was like they, they would have to try to lose the game, yeah. and they literally They're tried vulnerable. to lose yeah. the You'd game. You'd have to run down the court and chuck up a bad three early in the shot clock. Oh, they did do that. Yeah. <laughs> the series price to win this series you got to beat golden state in an elimination game does boston look ready for that and they seem less ready now than they did before that series to me and See, and, 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 and well it's a concern because it has been that a problem concern wasn't really there this no, series it accentuated it. It, it it really has been we talk about point differential and how, how great boston outgained milwaukee by 50 points a they were vulnerable in that series, almost lost it, and then they outgained Miami by 40 points, and they almost lost that series. They had to win two road games to be at this point. They had to win game six on the road against Milwaukee. They had to win game seven in Miami. So, so this is a team that just keeps having that great point differential that I'm in love with. I saw, like, plus 7.4 over the regular season, even better since January 1st, but their win-loss record regular season wasn't very good. And, and now you're thinking to yourself, wow, I got – NBA experience in the finals. Golden State has all of it. They got 223 starts in the finals. I got zero on my team. And I got a team. And a coach. It's a first-year coach. Uh, a, a exactly. Coach. Against, you know, Kerr, that as long as he doesn't seem to get more distracted with his political feelings, you know, obviously is very, very well regarded. And again, let's be honest. And again, I'm I'm a big Second Amendment guy, as in I think it's a, an amendment. So what are we going to, you know, whatever your feelings are, you got to respect it. Though we can debate the whole militia thing. We won't. But. His dad died with violence. It, it, so to me, it feels very personal in a way that you almost, or I think you have to respect, even if he is seemingly distracted. Like, well, what do you expect? Very well said. Right. But I do think that there, I don't need a distraction like that. Well, I, you know? I know. You're, you don't want those people to be human. You want them yeah. all to be robots that you can bet on. There, there, there you go. But, you know, the bottom line is, We've had, like you said, we'll call it a 50-cent move, a 40-cent move, whatever it is. Golden State's really expensive right now versus just two weeks ago. So you said you were, Scott, you were even with mm-hmm. Boston not being upgraded, downgrade. Do you up, how much do you upgrade Golden State? Because I think it's a clear upgrade off of the Dallas series. Yeah, I think they've looked great, and I think that— So net-net, you think that Golden State's relatively advanced over Boston in the last round? Just in the last round, yes. yes. And I think over the course of the entire playoffs, I would argue not, even though Golden State has gone up since yeah, the start of the playoffs. Yeah, but Golden State was 9-1. I mean, Golden yes. State had worse odds than Boston. So yes. there was a real surge in Golden State mm-hmm. early. Yeah, Boston 8-1, to Golden State 9-1 to to start the playoffs. I would say the numbers now are— they commiserate with what we what we've seen play out. Commiserate. I, they, that means they're commiserate with. They're, oh, commensurate. You commensurate. That's right. They're commensurate with what we've seen play out. Am I wrong? Well, let me ask. The you. Warriors have been impressive. The Celtics have been in some fights. Let me ask everyone this. I think. So, yeah, that's a good. I, I would make this point on his point. Golden State. At what point did they feel like they were the most vulnerable to lose a series? And I would make the case there wasn't. It's any. funny. The only reason I ever felt vulnerable was because of the risk, the game, the you bet were that we had. Me. And and you in know that you're not a favorite. No. In that bet, there were times where the Warriors were underdogs. But the, as soon as so, Phoenix got knocked out, is it was the, the clearest road. Yes, but in any individual series, the, the Warriors were never in trouble. I agree. So RJ, you meant you brought the excellent point that. These series 
during the series, there's no adjustment in the power rating. So mm-hmm. looked at, we can just say, oh, Golden State murdered Dallas. That was obvious. Well, it wasn't obvious during the series because there was not one spread during that series that, that we bumped Golden State a decimal point. We saw Dallas lay in, what, three and well, a half really, on game three? Game four was one of the strangest NBA final or NBA playoff lines I've ever Dallas seen. Dallas laying one and a half. Gimme, give gimme. Give and you said you, you you came on national air and you're like, look it. I've I've been here before when a line, when you can't explain a line, when game four is a horrible situation for Dallas, and yet the books are like all the Golden State plus one and a half you want, you you can have it. But basically it was saying um, all if things being equal, Dallas is the better team. Exactly. And then Dallas smashes them. And then so and then so game five, we have Golden State laying six and a half. So there's no adjustment whatsoever. And then because they win game five by ten, they won by ten points. I know they're up twenty. Mm-hmm. They won they covered by three and a half points. Up to that point, there was no adjustments at all going Covered on. Covered by three. What game are we talking about? Game five. They won 120-110. Yeah, but li- they were underdogs in that game. They were – no, they were laying six and a half. Golden State was – this was game five, right? Am game four, they were underdogs. Game five, they were six and a half favorites. Oh, okay. yeah. Da- I'm sorry. You're right. Dallas won the first – okay, go ahead. So they cover – so there's no adjustments whatsoever in Golden State. We haven't bumped them at all. We haven't adjusted Dallas. It, it No, zero adjustment, but because they covered by three and a half on game five. Now that they won 4-1 against Dallas, we're like, oh, we got to bump them a point. Well, there was no – bumping them even a point one of a point during the Dallas series. Why, when it's suddenly a final game five, are we giving them this massive adjustment? All right, so what I want to do is look at Milwaukee, Boston, and see what the line was there. So Middleton was out. What do we think Middleton was worth? Two and a half points? Oh, I think a point and a quarter. Oh, that can't the be The second me. best player on the defending champions is worth a point and a quarter. Uh, I... I... I don't. I don't. I'd be curious to see what Mackenzie well, thought. Mackenzie, what do you think? Two points. Okay. Not a point and a quarter. A little more <laughs> than a point and a quarter. All right. All right. I, I, I accept two. Two's, right. two's good. Okay. So let's look at the line in the in the game seven, which is going to tell us a, you know the story. So if they were even teams, Boston would be minus five or three. If Middleton was playing. In theory, Boston will be minus five if they were even teams because without him, five becomes three. I agree. So the line in, and let me see here. We got Golden State in our past series. We got Boston. We go back to Milwaukee, and we're seeing here, let me see, Boston round two against Milwaukee. In game seven, the line was five. All right. So that's saying with Middleton, it would have been three. That these were teams. Equal teams. I totally accept that. That seems right. Okay, so that team is clearly better. Like Milwaukee last, or I guess they still were weaker than last season because they didn't have all their supporting stat or supporting players. But we think the Milwaukee team this year that ended up being the third seed. And Middleton, how long did he miss? He he didn't miss much of the regular season, did he? No, he got hurt in the first round. Yeah. So, I mean, this was a team that was at full strength, got the third. I, I just don't see necessarily where Boston or Milwaukee was clearly better than Golden State. I guess we're glorifying Boston, and I just don't know where it comes from. Unless we say, let's find the exact point on January 30th, they turn it around, and from there, look at this amazing net margin. They were 25 and 25 after 50 games. Well, well, I had both Milwaukee and Boston seven points better than an average team. But now, this is now circular logic. Because you're talking about your power ratings, it means it's your fair, fair, fair enough. But Boston, their point differential over the regular season was greater than seven over the over the whole season. And mm-hmm. they got better. They clearly were better the second half of the year. So I think it's it would be a leap of faith to say they were below a seven on a power rating. And what's going to stay on the power rating? Seven. 
do you agree that if you're if you're the person who's willing to say after 50 games we see a different team, then you also have to accept that the Warriors, when they started the playoffs, are a different team because it's the first time they've all been together and healthy. This has always been a difficulty for me with all the LeBron teams because you know the, the idea of you've, you've you've got a higher ceiling in the playoffs and you can turn it on and turn it up. It well, not like you're that. very comfortable with that. You what? Right? You've always seemed comfortable with that. Well, because LeBron his, historically has been so much better. But his AJ's teams making in the a slightly different point here. Your point's valid. Like, there's the ceiling in the playoffs <laughs> versus regular season. Atlanta Hawks back a few years ago, or Toronto, other than the Kawhi year. Any Bulls team never got any better. I'm, you mean since Michael? Yes. Okay. <laughs> what I'm saying is the team that is on the floor right now for the Warriors is different than any team that they've had on the floor in the last three years regular seasons his point being and i think it's it's one i didn't take seriously but it's kind of coming to fruition though mckenzie we we got we we did a preview it was kind of like this right we did we thought there was some latent potential on the warriors given all their injuries latent potential what's that exactly no okay when was this (laughs) this was before the playoffs you know what we should do i think we should play our segment Hmm. Mackenzie, you were talking about wrapping that up and having it ready, right? I uh, just need to use the sound machine for a few yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. Where right. was I when this happened? You, uh, it was river? one of your vacations. I, I've missed like three days since I've lived here. All right, let's see. <laughs> here comes back before the playoffs, me and Mackenzie. Fez was on vacation. AJ was on vacation. We were holding down the fort. You would think, wait a minute, the playoffs are starting? It's the playoff preview? RJ, why were why were you with your associate producer? Yeah. You can judge that yourself. Let's listen though. The Golden State Warriors plus eight fifty credit where credits due. I've been a skeptic of the aging. I mean, Steph not so much. Draymond, I think two three years ago was getting a little portly. Was getting a little you know. And obviously, he's hit or miss with his effort. You know who else thought that is Draymond Green. He said, I've, I've been playing like crap the last couple of years. And this year. And I've been eating like crap. Yes. Now, Clay is Clay. What was Golden State's record with Clay and without Clay? So, with Clay Thompson, 17 and 15 straight up. 17 and 15. So, that's barely above 500 with him. Yes. And without him, 36 and 14, 72% winners. That's better, isn't it? Yes. Much better. Now, here's the thing. I think it's been proven Clay and Draymond and Steph play well together. Now, this is a different Clay, a post-injury Clay. The questions as I see them is, will Clay trend upwards? I want to really drill home why I'm thinking about it this way. Once again, we know how those three for the Warriors play when they're playing at their best. Now, will we ever see that from Clay again? I don't know. I hope so, just because he it was such bad luck. And he's supposedly a really great guy by all accounts. Now, Dunks and Threes is a site that we've been using a little bit lately. I like some of their tools. Let's look at Clay. It's a one-number composite kind of deal that tries to account for everything. And you can split it up offense, defense. But if I'm not mistaken, like the Joker is far in a way ahead and he's like right around plus 10 is it yeah plus 9.3 and then like the second best player is like plus seven right so like plus seven is uh, six or seven is really good right and the joker's just in a different planet right now right so clay before his injury 
let, let's just say his last season, what was his number? So he was at plus 2.2. Before his injury? Yeah, in 2019. And what was he the year before that? Plus two and a half. All right, so plus two and a half is pretty stand, or is what Clay was at. Now, what's he been since he's come back? This is shocking to me, 3.0. Okay. Now, Steph, he was the MVP favorite, and justifiably so. He was as playing as well as anyone has with his estimated plus minus being upwards of 10, you know, 10.0. Now, again, now I think about it, this is based on plus minus. So what it's effectively saying is in, what is it, 100 possessions, him on the court, that team with all average people yep. around him would win by 10 points a game, which is better than Phoenix's. So what they're saying is the way Steph was playing, if Steph was surrounded by all average players, exactly average on his team, and the other team was exactly average, which by definition your opponents in the NBA are, because you're going to play the best, you can play the worst, you can play everyone in between. If anything, if you're a good team, your opponents are slightly below average because you're removed. Average includes you. Now, Phoenix this year was eight and a half points better in their net margin. Steph with average players when he was at his height this year would have been 10 points better. So the best team in the NBA would have been Steph plus a bunch of average players. By the numbers, yeah. And I think it makes sense. And the injuries are a big question. You could imagine Steph comes back, plays as well as he did early in the year because maybe fatigue was part of it. And then if, if, if Clay is truly as good as the numbers and Draymond gets back to the plus four, this team is probably equal to Phoenix. Yeah, and they were equal much of the year by the odds. They were plus, plus 400 you know, coming out of the All-Star break. Their odds have doubled. Their payout has doubled. The Suns have obviously improved. We're back to the future, I think is the way to say it. It feels like bizarro world, what I just heard. AJ, I see all the perspectives, buddy. I mean, you. This is these were the things I was saying, and you made me feel like I was a, a dumb dumb for thinking this could be possible. I said this was a possibility. I didn't think it was likely. Okay. But I think this is what we've seen, right? Clay, I would make the case, and let's go to the roundtable. Clay, you could make the case in the late series against Dallas, late in the series, it looked like he was getting stronger and better. If it was just the number for of made, one game. The most recent game, though, yeah. right? So, if anything, you would almost Tiger Woods style. You'd be worried about him fatiguing throughout these playoffs. It feels like he's getting stronger, right? I don't know. You if can't I could, nod on. I don't know nod. if I could bank on him to have that type of performance in the but, in the finals. But if you had to guess, he would, if he was, let's say that there's a eighty percent chance he'd stay the same. Of the remaining twenty, there's a better chance he ticks up than ticks down from what we've seen his trend line. Wouldn't you agree? Not a few, no, because I think even he had one game early in the playoffs too, in the first round, where he had a good scoring output, and then he went down, which is back back down to the average player that he is right now. So I think that that I think the thirty-two point performance is really an outlier, like the game was in the in the first round against Denver. Mackenzie, what's your what's your eye test say real quick? Then we'll go to AJ. Clay Thompson was been under. He's been an underplay, under twenty and a half points, like one and I think seven last eight times, but. It's not because he's been missing a lot. He just hasn't been shooting a lot. So efficiency-wise, I mean, what do you have, a true shooting of 47% field goal percentage in the last series? That's classic Clay. I don't know that 20 points a game is like a below-average player. Like That's what he's been in these playoffs is a 20-point-a-game well, guy. The question isn't – no, no. The question is can we think – if we had to guess where is he going to be in the next round, I think it, it, it's – let's just say this. If he had his worst game and was his last game – 
I'd be more concerned than if his mm-hmm. best game is his last game. Yeah, well, let me go with this. Look, he had 32 points in game four against Denver. Okay? Well, you would agree with McKenzie and, that, that the number of shots matter. I mean, if we just look at points, it's probably too Sure, too sure. Blunt 12, of an instrument. 12, 12 of 20 in that game. Uh, that's good. Which is comparable to the 25 shot point. He was 12 of 25 in this most recent game. From that moment on, 5 of 13, 15 points. 6 of 19, 6 of 20. Uh, uh, five of 19, eight of 14, and the scoring output 15, 12, 21, 14, 19, 15, 16, 19. The 32 point performance. He scored, he scored 30 in the closeout against the 30, Memphis, too. Say so 11 of 22 that game. So the, the games where he shot 22, 25, and 20 attempts. Yeah, 32 points, 30 points, 32 points. So Anything below, he had one game, he was six of 20 for 14. All the other games were under 20 shot attempts. Mackenzie, could you do uh, quickly a five game back, back looking rolling average on his uh, shot attempts in the playoffs? Last five games, so the series. No, I, I'm saying a rolling average. So that it would start after five games would be the first figure, and it would count game one through five. Game, the next figure would count game two through six. The next one would count game three through seven. You following? A, fi- a five-game backwards rolling well, average. Got, I want to see what the trend his, line looks like. Well, his average for the series here. So for the, the Dallas series, he averaged 7.2 makes out of 15.2 attempts. All right, so 15.2 attempts in the Dallas series. Yeah. And then what was he before that? 17.7 in the Memphis series. Okay, so you're saying he had more attempts in the Memphis and series. And 17 attempts in the Denver series. So if anything, the attempts are going down. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it probably um, it's not going to ex- be extreme in the way I thought, so it's probably not worth worrying about. Thanks, but uh, is I don't know. I mean, you're the head of the fan club, AJ. What, what do you think of Clay? How, what's your optimism for Clay? I think if we're expecting Clay to be pre-injury Clay, you're not going to no, get. No, that's that. not the question. The question is, compare. They got to the finals with him playing the way he's played. Do you feel like he's going to trend up, trend down? Is it cohesive? I mean, your main argument coming into the playoffs was these three guys haven't played together a ton. Thus, maybe we're going to see things we can't, like one plus one plus one equals five was what your assumption was. Yeah, and I still think Clay is a good enough shooter that it it helps Steph Curry to be on the floor with him because you can't leave Clay by himself. What's and your take on Clay specifically, Fess? I think the I think Clay's six four, right? So he's tall six six. Six six? six, six. Yeah. So 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 the, the fact Steph's a little guy. With you know, his afro. Yeah, oh wait. maybe six eight. <laughs> I, I I mean that really benefits the team. So you know just the i I'm worried about Boston, the matchup, the height. The Boston Boston's a really big team. So the fact you you know that you got Clay in there, I think that that's um he can certainly, you know, assist with the other aspects that aren't showing up in the box score with the rebounding, and um, and you can't leave him alone. You got a tall guy that absolutely takes a, takes a defender out of the paint that um, so you guys, have to stay you, on him. You got to listen to the question I ask, please. Mm. I don't know what question you want to answer. My question is. What's your optimism about Trey or Clay's trend line? I think we've all seen the way he plays. We all understand at his height, his ability to shoot. He doesn't have a great handle. I mean, like basic understanding of him. We don't have to do a recitation on. Does it feel like that maybe AJ's point, which was this, because t- I think the fact that Golden State went from eight and a half to one or nine to one even to like three and a half to one after it was like two games. Two games. After they dominated Denver the first two games, it was the biggest move I've ever mm-hmm. seen. I felt like that was – because remember, 
I didn't bet AJ that before this. It would have been a good bet on his part. But once they were even with Phoenix, I thought this doesn't make any sense. We had 82 games to show Phoenix was better. And his point was they haven't, these three haven't played hardly at all. When they do one plus one plus one equals five. That's what he was uh, speculating. It's turned out to be the case. He's right. Now the question, and so was I when I said the same possibility. Damn it. <laughs> well, you know, you, you couldn't have taken a vacation and not listen to the show. Yeah. So I'm not going to say you parroted me, but go, you know, we'll let that go. The fact is, do, does that seem more or less likely moving forward? Because it does feel like Clay's gotten more confidence. I'm more bullish on Clay, especially not just Clay, but the entire team, veteran team. And what else they, are you bullish about other than Clay? Steph, because I was with the AJ ran some numbers on Steph, you know, struggling, not shooting his free throws well since he came back. I think the fact that he came back in like January? No, when he came back at the end of the year, you know, into the playoffs, when he missed, he missed all those games at the end of the regular season. Steph did. So he, McKenzie, he missed, a, he had like a, uh, a couple weeks off after that, that great start, right? Yeah, March 16, they were playing Boston, ironically. Marcus Smart rolled over his ankle. He didn't come back till the first game of the playoffs. Okay, so he had two different absences this year. Yes. Okay. And what do we have, so really it's his numbers in the playoff. What's his numbers in the playoff? Just put them up on the board when you get them. Because um, my point with Steph, and we can shift to him, if you remove the first six weeks when he was playing at a plus 10, mm-hmm. as good as anyone in the history of the game, really, he was shooting a lot. He was, it felt like he was trying too hard to redeem himself and he broke down. I mean, that's all you can say. Since then, I think he's been pretty average. Now that was up until the end of the regular season. We'll see the playoff numbers, but my case that I made on SOV and I'll make it again. It's really not about staff as much as we might think because of how good the supporting cast has been. And I'm saying beyond Wiggins, the old-timers. Yes. All, all, and there's no question that these other dudes are massively exceeding expectations. Even Draymond. Draymond doesn't look fat anymore. I, I agree with that. What do you think about Steph specifically at this point? How good is he? Where's he rank? 1 to 15, 1 to 20. Where do you got him? Yeah, he's not in the top 10 right now. Um, but he's still Steph Curry, which means on, the, on any given night he's capable of being a game changer and taking a shot from somewhere where you wouldn't expect a guy to take a shot from and making it. Uh, he's also a guy, and, and this is what I love, and the Celtics have actually instituted this in their offense, is Steph does this move where he drives, kicks out, and follows the pass. So if you watch him, he'll drive to the basket, kick out to a guy in the corner, but then he follows that pass into the corner and gets a pass back for a corner three-pointer. It's a deadly play. The Warriors have been doing it for years, and he's so good at it. The Celtics have started to do it. We saw Jason Tatum do it a couple of times here in these playoffs. Steph is still capable of being that guy. Is he going to do it every single night now? I got to say no, because we haven't seen him do it consistently in these playoffs. Now, this is shocking. His regular season and his playoffs are almost within a shocking closeness each time. Points in the playoffs, 25-9, 25-5. So four-tenths of a point better. Field goal percentage, 45% in the playoffs, 44 regular season. Three points, 38 in the playoffs, 38 in the regular season. Assist, 6.2 versus 6.3. So in a way, it's an uptick because higher competition Mm -hmm. should be harder. Number two, the regular season blends in that first six-week start, Hmm. which means he's playing better than he did post 
to six weeks pre-playoffs, that chunk, he's playing better by a clear step, it feels like. Yeah, that's really impressive, the field goal percentages in playoff basketball. I mean, let's face it, teams aren't hitting shots. I mean, you look in terms of the unders are 54 and 33. Guys are having trouble making field goals. The fact he has the same percentages he did, you know, playing Detroit during the regular season. I mean, that's impressive. And and I still think Steph is a top ten player in the league. And I think the well, way we know that, you're part of the fan, you're the head of the Vegas chat. I, I just think the the way that teams have to adjust the way they defend when he's on the floor, and he, everybody else gets better looks when Steph right. Curry's on I, the you floor. You know, I agree strongly with this. There's guys out there that are saying he's one of the top fifteen players of all time. I mean, I know that's that now that's well, but that could, that's his career. Maybe that's true, and maybe he's not top fifteen in the league now. Yeah, that happens really at a certain point. I agree, but he's really fallen off the cliff like like, you know, LeBron or Anthony Davis. And maybe and I'm not saying that, that those guys have necessarily, you know. I mean, those are all like is LeBron a top ten guy? I'd say yes, you know, clearly. I, I think with LeBron, you almost gotta think the opposite of with Steph, which is I think Steph makes other people better. I think LeBron in his prime did. He's getting so particular about the way he wants to play, it feels like he doesn't anymore, LeBron. But it's hard to these guys. So many guys are injured. Is Kawhi a top ten player? Does he does he count? You know, when does he ever? 100%? I think of guys that played this year. Mm-hmm. Steph Curry was one of the ten best players yeah. in the league, and that's him missing what eighteen games, fifteen, eighteen games in NFL football. The play action, the big debate amongst the analytics people in the old school is how much do you have to quote unquote establish the run before the play action makes someone stop, like the linebacker stop. I think Steph, even though he's dropped off statistically, he still is that gravity is what people call it, where they're going towards him because they're so afraid of him shooting. So he still has the ancillary effect, even though he's dropped off some, I think, which means, well, what percentage of his game, his contribution is the ancillary effect? Maybe it's a third. So in a weird way, if he's dropped off by 20%, but he's still as potent as a gravitational pull, he's not dropped off as much as 20 because it's only two-thirds of his overall game. It's almost the opposite of, of what we saw in ben, with Ben Simmons last year when he, they like teams would drop, drop away from him when he was at the three-point line and yes. defend everyone else better. It's the opposite. Everyone has to run out to Steph, and it leaves guys open for, for good looks. Yeah, I, I think so. Now, what do you guys make of Boston's being the only team under Steve, with Golden State and Steve Kerr, the only team to have a winning record against them? in his entire career as a coach, is Boston. Now we can say, well, Udoka is new, but it's like, okay, it's a lot of the same. I mean, how much merit do we give that stat? Because it it does seem noteworthy. A minimum, it seems to be maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy for Boston where they're not as afraid as they might be otherwise. It could be a factor. And I think that's some good you, stuff. You, yeah. yeah, I think you can look at the past success that they've had uh, against them, and the, at least the players knowing that they've beaten this team and they've beaten them recently as well. So there's that confidence factor. McKenzie gives us the numbers: nine and seven straight up, mm-hmm. twelve three and one against the spread. Boston versus Kerr. Why are we going? Why are we going? Two thousand four. That's when he started. Can we, so no, can we go Tatum? back to? Can we do Tatum? Yeah, we, no, well, I would say, uh, well, yeah, go Tatum I, instead of Jalen Brown. I would also four say, years or three years, right? Well, uh, 2017 was Tatum. 2018 was uh, 2017 was Brown. 2017 was Tatum. Is that right? No, I think that's they were. What right. wasn't Brown a year later? No, Brown was first. A year earlier. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So wow. it was. So we want to start with the the Brown year was 2016. Tatum was 2017. So, so 2017. Start with 2017. Yeah. yeah. Thank. Pop that when you get it, Mackenzie. Because then 2018, Robert Williams, and then so on and so forth. And the two, the last two years where the Warriors weren't a playoff team, Celtics were four and zero against them. 
Okay. And, and again, ATS is going to even that out in theory, right? So right, but again, that's a lot of games played without the core guys on the floor. So Boy, didn't you, Golden do State you get go- paid directly by the Warriors? No. Didn't Golden State like not win any games one year? Well, Bob Myers fifteen, 15 games right one year. Yeah. yeah so they but everybody. Wait, but ATS is the great equalizer. That's that's true. I mean, you know, so if, if Boston has to lay nine, then they lay nine. But it wasn't Golden State out there. It was last four years seven, two and one ATS, seven and okay. three straight up, which kind of speaks they weren't as good. But again, we have ten games and you only lose two against the spread. Can't be a negative. Yeah. Okay. So let me pose the following, and this will be a good segue into the Jimmy Butler post mortem. Okay, my assumption is the following. We need to reevaluate Jimmy Butler, and I think maybe he's downgraded. Everyone's playing up how well he played. In Minnesota in 2018, there was a guy named Jimmy Butler. Now he's known as Jimmy Buckets. I mean, I don't know how – when did that name – was that a common name a year ago? Yeah. It was, yeah. It's been around for a while. I've heard it more in the last two days. I I agree with you. Even in Chicago, it was Jimmy Buckets. But in a hometown, it's going to be one thing, right? Yeah. It's like it seems to be every. Maybe people sound cool saying Jimmy Buckets, man. All right, I'm just saying it feels like it's become more pervasive. Jimmy, we'll say Butler. He was there in 2018 in Minnesota, and there was a guy named Andrew Wiggins there, and there also a guy named Carl Anthony Towns. Obviously, a talented player. Now, is he a winner? We'll see. I don't think he's proven that yet. But what Wiggins has proven after almost six seasons with Minnesota. Very unsuccessful, net net, goes to Golden State and has become an all star, a starter, right? On the all star team this year. That's right. A starter. And by all accounts, and this is a guy who's what, 27 years old. He's a youngster still, has become a very valuable player. I mean, I don't think Golden State is here without him. Right? I, I agree with that. So. Hmm. Now, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Who guards Luca if he wasn't there last series? We just talked about how they laid over Boston and destroyed them. Over, or, 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 yes. Well, I, I think maybe with the path that Golden State ended up having, maybe they squeaked by without them, but they're not near the team. That I agree with. And to me, if you would have said, I mean, someone was saying that Wiggins was considered the worst contract in the league at the time when of he got trade. traded. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but it was certainly a. I mean, sure. what I know for sure is Russell went and then they had to throw a draft choice in, right? Minnesota did. Yep. Uh, which was ended up being one of these two that they ended up picking last year. Most right? Moody. Okay. So it's like, man, if you got to give up for, for Russell, if you got to be giving up a draft choice, to, if you're throwing Wiggins in and you're getting. Yep. Boy, that does. I mean, right now, Wiggins is worth more than Russell, right? Yeah. Who's caused that? Right, coaching, Golden, yeah, coaching, Golden State, mm-hmm. the oh, culture. I, I think organization, yeah, yeah. culture yeah. is the right word. Because Maybe the Randy Moss situation, where uh, because you, play, Minnesota's a losing franchise. But Wiggins wasn't a bad boy. Wiggins was just uh, demotivated. It seemed he had yeah. lack of motivation. Yeah. Oh, but Draymond has talked about this a lot. He's like a lot of these guys who get bad raps as like they're bad players. They're just in a bad with a bad organization. And if those guys get out of that organization and go somewhere else, oftentimes they blossom. He said this. This is what we expected to happen with Andrew Wiggins because he went from a bad situation we, to a good he's one. He's in the front office meetings making these decisions. I don't know. That's just what he said. I think he's on the team. This I think was Draymond. Draymond said that. Not exactly the poster child for like. <laughs> Why? Plus Dray- EV. Draymond's a great part of the culture in Golden State. Now remember Malinsky, rest in peace. During the initial run of the Warriors, I think it was even the first year they won it said Draymond was one of the top 10 players in the NBA like most valuable it's a debate right if you go back and look at it's an interesting thing forget Durant for a minute 
Because Duran, but even add Duran in. There's some people that's going to think the most valuable player was Durant on the Warriors in that three year, or was it three years? Three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people are going to think Steph was the most valuable. Some people are going to say Clay was the most valuable, literally, and some would say Draymond. <laughs> so, in a weird way, to have four players and one of them being a top 10 player of all time, Durant. I think maybe two of them be a top 10 player of all time. I I don't think that's even possible. So maybe two of them being a top 15 is the idea that a guy that Steph gets an asterisk because he rewrote the, the, the play, the book on how to, well, I think it's an an excellent, it doesn't have anything to do influential. Maybe it doesn't have how good you are. Yes. Okay, so we're not talking influential. We're saying best right. players of all, all time. Right. Yes. And and I think if you want to look at it beyond the game and say impact on the, the, the right. sport, I'm talking about how good, how many You're titles right. are you winning? You're right. The idea that the fourth best player of those years, some people think might be the best player and over two, like some people believe Clay, like who do you think in those four, Scott, that were the, uh, how would you rank their importance? With Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green during, during those three years. Durant, then Draymond. All right. Now that's fact. So Steph is behind Draymond in affecting the in winning. Yeah. I make Steph one. See, now that proves my point, right? How good is I mean, in a way, how good is that team? How could you not put Durant? Because yeah. Durant wasn't a good fit. He was the best player in the league, but he wasn't a good fit. He was a ball player in the in those finals, they don't win those finals. The ball right? stopped. Well, Steph famously doesn't have an MVP in the finals, right? He there were eleven hundred minus eleven hundred favorites in one of those finals. I, I, unfortunately, saying, the, it, the it, ball stopped on offense. It wasn't as it wasn't as crisp. The ball would mm-hmm. stop with Durant. They would rely on him too much with, because if he, he's such a great player, you want to utilize him, you know, to just shoot over people and shoot that sixteen footer. You know, it's. I mean, do you think it would have been better without him? I think they were better no. without him. No, I think they were better with Durant. But if you put Durant on another contender, that team becomes four points better. And with Golden State, maybe Golden State was like two points better with them. If you agree with you, that way you explained it is the best way to explain it. But it really doesn't speak to this conversation. What he Mm. would be somewhere else really isn't the conversation. It's what was he for Golden State? Yes. And, and, And you believe that Durant wasn't the most valuable. I do. I believe when Steph was out, it hurt the team more than when Durant was out. Yeah, I, I think that the team, the, this Let group me guess, of Warriors, you think Steph was number one? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Steph was number one. And I'd probably put Clay Thompson number two. We, wow. Now that's fast. So Kevin Durant, who by all accounts, a top 10 player in the history of the league, was the third best player on Golden State. Yeah. I, I don't know how we're just discounting his performance in those NBA finals. I think this is making my point, though, right? They don't, got win, a valid they, they don't win these. They don't win the finals without Durant. I don't know how you think that. They won without him. What, what Kevin Durant won when he wasn't around Steph Curry. Specifically in that series Which against the Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. The he, one they lost? No, the one that they won, okay. Durant. Okay, with his, uh, He was the MVP in both of those series. But specifically, it was the one where he hit the big shot. He, he was the main reason why they won that series. Now, here from this fan club part two, McKenzie, the Golden State Warriors, and this is from Stat Muse, had a 27-4 record without Kevin Durant between 2016 and 17 and between 18 and 19 seasons. So really we're saying the 16-17, not the 17-18, but the 18-19. No, between those two seasons. So those three three years. Okay, between them. So three seasons. Okay. So if I recall now, Kevin Durant went and played a quarter in that playoffs and got hurt, right? Blew out his Achilles after, right? And then they beat Denver in the conference finals, if I recall. 
and then they got beat by Toronto. So, like, in a weird way, we were all quoting that, that stat, and then all of a sudden it looked almost impossible that Curry could carry the team. Now, I know Clay got hurt late in those yeah. finals, but I think we can all agree – because remember, it was the Houston fight. They played Houston in round two that year, now that I recall. Mm-hmm. It did not, if, I mean, we were doing the show every day, Fez. It, he was taking, the Warriors were taking on water at that point. No doubt. Yeah. So a guy's, Houston was favorite at one point to win the series. A guy's Game ability series. to spot, start, and replace someone is like a guy like, um, what's it, Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy can be an effective quarterback for one or two games. And Lombardi talks about that. He doesn't have the physicality to do a 17-game season. Hmm. Steph, as he got older, and you can't – here's the thing we got to ask ourselves on this whole Curry – or I'm sorry, uh, KD debate. Are we saying KD's off the team and no one replaces him? Because then obviously they're not going to be better without him. But now the theory is how many role players could they have an Eagle Dollar whatever – that get better that because they were thin when they had Durant they were thin after the top four because they didn't have the money right they only yeah. so I think the case could be made that with this motion offense if they could replace Durant for a lot of players that fit the scheme that could upgrade four five six seven on the rotation maybe. But certainly losing him doesn't help the team right. You have to compensate right. somehow. Sure. The very fact that we have this debate. All right, so Golden State had a record of eight and nineteen without Curry during that same eighteen and nine. nine. Okay, eighteen and nine. Right? What did I say? Eighteen. You uh, said eight and nineteen. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Eighteen and nine. I was looking down at these years again because I'm confused by them again. Now they 2016. Only two years. Oh, okay. So this isn't anyway biased. Don't don't think of the last year. All right. Let's see what happens here. Oh, now it's 23 and 17. It's tough year. It's tough year. <laughs> okay. So my, my point was if you took Ste- like if you took Steph Curry away from that team and it was Kevin Durant, Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, it it's not the Warriors basketball anymore. That's, but, it's, it's, but, but who knows how much better it is? Maybe so. Probably not better, you know. Listen, all we know is this, we're glorifying how great Golden State is in the front office. They yes. chose to, they they wanted Durant, they chose him. And from my understanding, is even after he blew out his Achilles, they were ready to sign him to a max mm-hmm. before he went to Jer- or Brooklyn. And those nine NBA Finals games, not counting the Toronto game because he played one game in that series, right? Uh, Thirty-eight points, fifty. I'm going to round up on the shooting percentage. If it's fifty-three point eight, I'm going to say fifty-four. Okay, thirty-eight points on fifty-four percent, thirty-three points on sixty percent, thirty-one points on fifty-six percent, thirty-five points on forty-one percent, thirty-nine points on seventy percent. I mean, do I have to keep These on are going? The games or the series? These are the games. Forty-three points on sixty-six percent, twenty-six points on seventy-two percent shooting. The twenty in the last twenty-six points on thirty. I'm not arguing shooting. that Kevin Durant isn't a better player than Steph Curry. I'm saying he. I'm saying I, I don't know if they win those NBA finals without him. I, you know, I saw them against, win against, without him. That's what I oh, never I mean, saw Kevin Durant hold win. On a second. They won one title without him. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of teams. Toronto won a title. A lot of teams have won a title. Might be two in two weeks. And and that I think is, <laughs> that's the segue. Like is this a, is this an important series to Kevin Durant's legacy? <laughs> that is a great take. I don't think it takes we'll away take your from calls, Durant. Like. I think it, you think it takes away. No, from I'm, I'm saying does it look more like God? They didn't need Kevin so Durant does it to take, win those. Does it take away Durant? I, I think yeah. it does. I don't know I about that. Does. Uh, Mackenzie, you seem to have a real perspective here. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to make your case. 
I think Kevin Durant and Steph Curry in 2016-17 were the two best basketball players in the world. I think Steph Curry was more important. Wait, you, whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying five years ago, six years ago, yes. that LeBron wasn't one of the top two players. That's why they were minus 1,100 points in the finals, and that's why Durant had whoa, whoa, statistically— whoa, whoa. Minus 1,100 in the finals. So that was a—it was like the old Dr. J. Larry Bird one-on-one -on -one game? Or were there teams around him? There were teams around him. Okay, so I don't think by saying because well, they were minus eleven, I don't. Does anyone here believe LeBron was a lesser player than both of those guys four or five years ago? McKenzie, yes. McKenzie had him. Uh, I, I heard you say okay. McKenzie. Yeah. Anybody that matters. McKenzie gotcha. had him fourteenth that year. No, but what do you think? No, I don't. I think at that at that point, LeBron was easily the best player in the league. Best? Yeah, Le Le LeBron was the MVP every year. They just couldn't get. Yeah, it LeBron's to the best player on earth up until couple of years ago. So, Mackenzie, when, couple you, when you hear Giannis everyone really disagree with you, guy. what does I it make you it. feel? I love it. Because when I talk to my NBA heads, I go back home and, and they're like, yeah. So it's I only agree. it's only in a certain <laughs> it's area in Chicago. of Chicago. It's not even though, because I talk to my friends at Yale. It's just certain mm. types of guys, and we're open to this theory. That oh wait, it's the friends at Yale. It was a fifteen uh, well, years. Hold on, let's get this straight. Your opinion. friends at Yale. Well, they must be smart. Not all of them. You, there were dumb classmates of yours. Oh, uh, there were simple-minded people, I would say. Yeah, sure. So, so basic. Yes. Okay. Let me ask you this. <sighs> Go ahead. I don't know what the max contract was in 2016. Let's say it was $35 million, all right? It was last night, but go ahead. How much would you be willing to pay LeBron? And forget about this, selling this tickets. This is just a proxy of saying how good you think exactly. he is. Exactly. And I'm just saying I think most organizations would pay him $60 million a year, and no one else would go for but 50 you, that's just your from opinion, perspective. Though. It's your opinion. Yeah, but I think, I think it, it's an opinion. Your opinion's every, right. I, no, <laughs> I think my opinion is very popular that, that the vast majority of people would yep. agree with. We're going to say goodbye to McKenzie. I'm a So he's going to shift to his role, his quiet, unspoken role. <laughs> Where'd you drive? Uh, that the little shelving thing fell off the table here. AJ's a strong dude. I didn't touch it. He has a bum knee. Thank you, Mackenzie. We'll talk to you next week. I'm saying thank you, Mackenzie. And I'm going to prove that my mic's off? Oh, wait. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. So you thought, you, you thought, it's so funny. You can't, you're wrong when you think you're right. Now, here's the part that I don't respect. I like someone who's willing to have a contrary opinion. But someone who has it in the face of any evidence, like no matter what evidence you present, they're never going to say, hmm, hmm. Because let's be candid. LeBron, I don't think LeBron was a winner like Michael was. And I do think it is a, a negative all of the finals he made that he didn't win. I, a lot of people say, well, would it have been better if he was 4-0? I don't know. I think what we would know is that maybe he's the type that gets there and he wins. There's something mystical about a guy who won't lose in the final. Joe Montana, Bradshaw, Michael. There's something about that. But Montana didn't have to throw to Matthew Della Vadova, did he? But, how, but here's the catch-22. How much of having Dallavadova was LeBron's stubbornness, LeBron's desire to control things? They say the reason that, that um, uh, Kawhi didn't want to – because LeBron wanted Kawhi very badly when he picked the Clippers. Kawhi apparently didn't even consider it because LeBron needs to have the plane take off when he wants to take off. Now, this is a great take. So off the court, you're, yes. say, you're, you're, you're saying recruiting, almost like a college football coach, that LeBron is well, who, not a good recruiter. Who's the best? In theory, he had every—he's like—where my where I grew up, there was something called strip mining. 
Now, do you yeah. know what strip mining sure, is? Sure, because I grew up it? in Ohio. And strip mining is like coal where they, they just cut into the, they cut through a hill. Inside the mountain, they Boom. come in and they just pick everything out and they leave a hole there. Yeah. Like those people, they call it the strip pits. The people would fish in the strip pits. Right. It was just the holes and fish ended up being there. Like, I mean, it was like, it looked like something Mr. Burns would maybe orchestrate from the Simpsons. Yeah. LeBron is a human strip miner. And he strip mines teams. He comes in, says, let's get all your resources and pull them out and let's prepay on the credit card. Or not prepay, let's postpay. We'll trade draft choice. Think of how his teams are. Like, Collins always made that out to be how good LeBron is. No, it's the shambles he leaves his teams in. <laughs> And when, when all the truckular trees have been have been farmed, then um, the um, the creature just just leaves. Yes, like the Borg. And my point <laughs> is, and my point is that LeBron comes in, makes him sell out all their future, tries to win now. And who are the best players, even with that strip mining mentality that he had, that chose to play with him? All right, so Dwayne Le- Wade. What? Okay, he went to Dwayne Wade's team, but I'm sure if Wade would have said no, that's interesting. If Wade would have said no to Pat Riley, what happens? Or, th- or are you saying he didn't have a choice? I, I think that they got together and decided they both because they both took less than they could have made otherwise. First off, boy, that's a narrative. Like like eight hundred thousand out of thirty two million. Okay, so it was a very. But what I'm saying is, if you could you imagine the following scenario? Dwayne Wade doesn't want LeBron there. But he knows he doesn't have enough power to say no. What's he going to do? He's going to go along to get along, right? So I think it's very possible uh, Wade didn't want that but had no choice but to accept it, mm. right? I guess that's possible. It seems like the more unlikely of the two scenarios. But well, It seems like to me Wade's tried to do a lot of re- or revisionist history with him saying, well, I was at the top of my game, LeBron was at the top of his game, and I decided to become a second fiddle to him out of respect for the chance. But in hindsight, remember, Wade started breaking down physically. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, there was a real alpha battle with those two. I would make the case. I think mm. it was uh, – who was I think it was actually now on the Bill Simmons pod. Did you listen to Simmons pod Sunday, McKenzie? I'll let you speak. Yeah, they were talking about that. And the 2011 finals is the one kind of against Dallas. Yeah, where Wade had a great series and LeBron didn't. And you would argue if Wade had played that style, they wouldn't have won the next year. They needed LeBron to be the guy. But it was partially because Wade started dropping his game started dropping off. right? Yeah, the beginning of the playoffs, he was hurt. He was out. He came back and played a bit part. But let's say Wade, okay, but LeBron was at the peak of his powers, okay. and which you could say this guy's clearly the best player since MJ. And okay, so but who else? I mean, Anthony I would make, Davis. Yeah, and Kevin I, Love. Well, Kevin yeah, Love wasn't Kevin. that good. Kevin Love was that good when no, he, he came wasn't. to Cleveland. He wasn't that. He was like what the 18th best player in the league. They and they had they had two of the eight the 17 ahead of him. But what I'm saying is having the 18th best player in the what was Kyrie was top 18 yeah. at that point. Okay, well. That becomes a debate, too, I guess. I think he might have became that. Was he? I mean, they didn't win more than, like, 25 games with him as the lead dog, did they? No. I guess what I'm saying is we know Kawhi didn't – or, I'm sorry, we know Kyrie didn't have a choice. And now what we see with AD, do, do we think him choosing someone's a good or bad thing? Because mm. he doesn't seem like the consummate winner, does he? Well, that's what I, I think the thing that Kyrie, Kevin Love, and Anthony Davis all have in common, so if you leave, exclude Dwayne Wade – they're all guys who were the best player on shitty teams. Mm-hmm. The, so they were it, from a losing culture to going to play with LeBron. And how much is it is, is with AD's LA? Because, I mean, he certainly didn't get many people in to Cleveland that was all that impressive. Right? Kyrie was already there. Yeah. It was on contract. In fact, the first chance Kyrie had to leave, he, he left. left. 
right? And yeah. then if Kevin Love, who has been collecting money seemingly without a conscience ever since, you know, it doesn't seem like he's working too hard to make his, his contract worth it. I just don't see – I don't think there's a lot of, like, this guy's a winner, man. I don't see a lot of those guys wanting to play with LeBron. You know, that's a, that's a great perspective. I don't know if anyone else – if I've ever heard that before. I've heard Someone he, else has, has – the, the, the lack of being – of recruiting abilities. Because you would think, like, wait a minute, you know, I got the best player in the world. I would want to I would want to take less to play with him. But Steph was able to recruit the, maybe the second-best yeah. player in the game to come be a second fiddle. Yeah. Did you, was it, did you uh, see that Brian Windhorse piece where uh, – Recap talk- it where uh, LeBron wears out his welcome in four years. Hmm. It's a four-year cycle everywhere he goes. So goes to Miami, hmm. four years, wears it out. That's the strip mine. Them. Yes, that goes along with what you're saying. So four years, done. Goes back to Cleveland, four years, done. This was year four in L.A. Kind of feels like the welcome has been worn out. And Lakers still 20-1 to 1 next year. Yeah. Though you could make the case that Pat Riley wanted LeBron to stay. Because, I mean, he was really mm-hmm. said some negative stuff about it. And we know Cleveland wanted him to stay. So to some degree, I think there's ambivalence. But he's, but look at what he's – he left both of those organizations after those four years. They were I kind know. of Maybe, in yeah. shambles. And, and so. he, he was known for pushing the front office mm-hmm. to spend now. Spend. But that's the thing. And, and the Windhorse piece goes into it. It's like you do everything you can to bend over backwards for LeBron. And after a four-year cycle, it just completely depletes you. He wears out his welcome. He moves on and leaves you – but if you get a ring out of it, aren't you happy? That's the, that's the question you got to ask every uh, organization and, and fan base, right? Well, then the question becomes, yeah, maybe it's better. If you had to choose between those two, you're going to choose the ring. But isn't there a third option? And it's a good segue to the Golden State. This is a team, and I'm going to make the following state, and this is pro staff, perk up, AJ, is has there ever been a team that had a core that was a borderline dynasty? And I think Golden State was a dynasty. Well, but five even, years in a row NBA Finals, absolutely. And then have a multiple-year hiatus in a way and then come back and win another one. I don't – I mean, Bill – I don't remember. No, Russell won 9 out of 11. So, like, maybe my knowledge starts with Magic and Bird, really my depth of knowledge. I don't think like imagine Detroit winning a title in '94, like it, it just or '93. It just wasn't even in the cards. It, all, all I can think of is like the Bulls without Michael, but but that's because he wasn't around. You know, yeah, those two the, years. The Spurs won their three. But they didn't win anything. In well, the, the Spurs took a year off in between. Yeah. They were every the, odd the Spurs year. The Spurs won Spurs three in five yeah. years. Yeah, and then they took five or six years off. And no, I don't the, think they ever. And they won the one with Kawhi. Well, so let's think about this. Kawhi was in thir- thirteen or fourteen. Look at that. 2013. Okay, so 13. And what was the one before that? 2007. Okay. Okay. Right. I would agree with that. Now, in that case, that, that's a great one, except I would make the case that Kawhi ended up emerging as a top player in the game. Yes. Where he won, and people debated, but he won the finals MVP mm-hmm. that Did year. Did the Spurs ever really well, regress, though? They, no, were, they, they were all they were very 60 good. games. 60 wins yeah. So that's yeah. your point. Once it's, they no, never really started falling titles. off. It's so. about titles. Right. I, and I would make the case the Spurs weren't really serious title. Con- they were becoming more like an Atlanta. But they were in the that, finals the year before that Kawhi win. Well, that was the same Kawhi. Kawhi was on that yeah. team, too. And he's the one that missed two free throws with, like, yes. 24 seconds left or 25 seconds. And he had, like, the champagne ready to come out. I mean, it was, Bill Simmons just recently said that's the worst choke he's ever seen, meaning that the Spurs' chance to win at that point was so big. There's never been a team that close to the title that didn't mm. win it. And the fact that they came back and won the next year and blew my – they shut that, that franchise down because that's why LeBron left. He's like, we can't compete with these guys. Mm. 
to me, that was one of the great coaching jobs and the great team work ever. Let's say, the, but here's the distinction I'll make with the Spurs. Kawhi was the best player on that team. He won the, the finals MVP. Is there any chance right now the Curry MVP odds are like plus 105, right? Yes. Okay. And the series odds are only minus 140. They're saying there's like a 70% chance if the Wash, if Warriors win, it's going to be Steph. And, and we just talked about how they've got four or five real, four really good players. Yeah, but I think they're right. The voting would be staffed. And it's biased because he hasn't won the MVP. So if oh, it's close, they're going to give it to him. So my question is, this year it would be very surprising if the legit MVP, forget the vote, was anyone except the old-timers. As much as Jordan Poole looks good. Correct. So or Wiggins. Me, what if Wiggins takes away Jason Tatum? I think defense, unless it's against LeBron and Iggy, they, I don't think they vote for defense today. I, I agree. Well, my, I, I, I think you I could think make the other side of it is for Marcus. My my bet. I already bet it. Marcus Smart. What was the odds? Oh, I, you got the hundred to one, right? Yeah. And what's the current market? Forty to one. He's picking off the but right numbers. He was forty to one everywhere except for Circa, where it was at hundred to one. So I took the hundred to the one smart, at Circa. The smartest book out there, though, right? We we talked pre-production yeah. how I th- I believe the true odds should be close to hundred to one. So Scott's bet is fine. I think it's like break even. Oh, yeah, you got your approval, but Thank ju- you. but just because you're like the first time, <laughs> well, I well, just be- approval. well, just because you, know? you, you get my <laughs> approval all the time. Is that like a with Catholic, like where I grew up Catholic discompensation they call it? Are you familiar with that? No. Look that up, Mackenzie, for me. Spell that again? So, uh, so the point I was trying to make <laughs> is that defensively, right, is I think defending Steph would have the impact. Wiggins defending Jason Tatum I don't think would. I think that I think if the narrative— well, We were talking about Tatum being the, the best player in this series. I understand, but I'm just going off, off the brand, right? If we're talking about Steph Curry— Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time, if he has a subpar series because the the current defensive player of the year completely shuts him okay, down okay. while also contributing 25 points in two or three of the four wins, you know why I like he wins this? the award. And I would buy in at your 100 to 1. Here's why I like that is because there's so much talk about Smart taking too many shots. If he plays good defense and still shoots but makes them, at the end of a game, it's going to be like, see, he was right all along. I think the backlash he's gotten now actually sets him up to be a redemption story. Right? Do you, does that resonate with you? Oh, it resonates, but I can't get over the fact that it, it violates the, the – for someone to be the MVP, they've got to be in the same ballpark in terms of their expectation of points per game. And Marcus Smart's getting lined at 13. Well, not if you're 100 to 1. No. He's lined at 13 and a half. Mm-hmm. All right. And well, how many points did Iguodala have that series he won? 16.3 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, 4 assists. Steph averaged 26 points per game, 6.3 assists, and 5.2 rebounds per game. But I think you're looking at the one exception. But the it's one, 100 the, to 1. It's you the one, one in a 100-year flood, the Iguodala flood. Oh, it's one out of – I don't think they – Jerry West won the first one the year he, he was a losing team. So what was that? like 70. So it's only been 50 years, Fez. It's happened once. 100 to 1 is A-OK. Well, let's see what – A-OK. A, let's see what a discompensation is. This is from Wikipedia. In the jur- jurisprudence of – of the canon law of the Catholic Church, a discompensation is the exemption from the immediate obligation of law in certain cases. So, Fez, you're saying statistically, through your methodology, he's got a bad bet, but you've said it's okay. He's you, you know, I read that definition three times. There's too many big words for my, jur- small, jur- for my small verbal brain to compensate. It's I need to put it into an equation. Mackenzie, explain it. 
you are the law and you are deciding what's illegal and what's not illegal. You've yeah. come to Scott and you've said what you've done is wrong this time. Is legal. It's typically wrong, right? But it's okay. This I'll time. allow it. Yep. Yeah, I'll that's allow it. Okay. okay, I'm good. I'll allow that. it. He's like the Godfather. That's, I give you my blessing. That's it. It's I'll allow it. I, I, I New segment on the show. <laughs> We're gonna start selling that's, it now. That's good. Actually, like that. I'll allow it. Brought to you by R.J. Bell's Dream Preview Podcast. I like that. <laughs> Fez gets the name on that. I mean, really, that's what you said. You said I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Then I'm going to tell you why it's okay. <laughs> Well, it's it's forty to one, and he got a hundred. This so. is everybody. This is a segment on the pod now. It's called "I'll Allow," where everyone has to give a bet that they made, and Fezzik has to tell you why it's accepted if, if, this time. If Circa was going to put a, if Circa was going to put a yes/no on this with a reasonable vig, the, the no would be like minus eight thousand, and the yes would be five thousand. So they they endorse your bet as being scalpable. Well, if the yes is five thousand. Fifty to one. 50 to uh, 1. Okay. 50 to 1, 80 to 1 would be their. Mm. I think that would be. All right, so moving on, yeah. I think the name would be Fezzik's Discompensation. <laughs> yeah. not, you know, not I'll allow it. All right, moving on, though. I do think. Now, let's go back to the Jimmy Butler thing. I believe that Butler then went to Philly. I know that. And he was mad at Philly for not paying him. Tobias Effin Harris? Yeah. Exactly. Then he went to Miami and somehow merged with Heat Culture, where I don't know how much is Butler, how much is Heat Culture, but they've won nothing. They've won nothing. Now, we could say they made the finals in the bubble, yet they weren't even competitive in the finals that year. I was rooting against LeBron as hard as I could. Didn't work. They lost against Boston, a team that was trying to give it away. They were trying to give it away. Is there maybe something, and I think the analogy is Bill Cowher. Bill Cowher, I'm a Steelers fan. He got so intense about regular season. When the pressure was on, everyone puckered up. Do you think maybe Miami feels the butler? I mean, Butler's screaming at Spolstra. They're talking, and Spolstra's saying, "Do you want to fight me?" It's like they're talking about fighting his coach a couple weeks before the playoffs. How is that good? Like, like Spolstra's what the most respected coach in the game at this point? Besides Popovich, probably. I don't know. Popovich and his politics has got some people sours. Okay. I'm not sure it's not Spolstra, right? But he's right in the top three for sure. For sure, right? it's Kerr. Kerr. Popovich Spolstra. I, I, I got to tell you, at Boston though, t- you know, to to win the the conference, I'm like d- double team Jimmy buckets. Anybody but buckets. I, I'm not saying he's not a good player. I'm saying that is there something about the way he it manifests his desire to win that it hinders their winning. I yes, and I think there was a story once that he played with the second team, right? And and he, I forgot what team this was on. It might have been Philly. So it's some Minnesota. story. Was it Minnesota? Uh, famous yeah. practice. Yeah, he just wanted to beat Andrew Wiggins' ass in practice, and he said, "Give give me, give me. I'm gonna take the second team we're gonna beat this team and did he win he did he beat carl anthony towns and edger wing he's in a 505 and how many many playoff games did he win that year he got traded to philly and they got lost in seven to the Raptors. he didn't get traded that you got the wrong like active verb he orchestrated a trade himself i think you're right right he brought in espn and did a big thing back to what you're saying no team unity it it does feel like this guy's about great player but about it's he's he he know he's a great player and he knows he's great with jimmy butler last statement on this for me with jimmy butler the question is can you become like he wants you to be on Golden State, it's how can we become something that allows you to succeed? Yes. Because it was Wiggins who was the guy that was the indict, indicted character in this story of the backup game. He's now very valuable. I don't know. There's something there. And again, I've always been more of a Jimmy Butler type. I'm just seeing it doesn't seem to work. It- Unless you're Jordan. Yeah, I was going to say, Jordan did it, and Hakeem did the same thing. Hakeem was notoriously a bully of his teammates 
particularly in the playoffs. Well, and could you make the case that he never even made the finals against Jordan as an indictment then? Because it wasn't just those two years that he was a great player. Right. I, I, my, my point is, I think when you're a, a all-time great, if you're good enough, you can get away with that. If you're mm. Hakeem or Jordan, you can. I think Jimmy Butler's not on that level. I think he's really good. I just don't think he's Kobe good enough to like do that. Kobe was like that in a way, but you could make the case Kobe post Shaq underperformed. Uh, you can absolutely make that case. Close and he, he, had, he had a very similar mindset to Jimmy Butler. But Kobe had brought more to the table. Jimmy Butler's not even the – is That's Jimmy Butler you, a top 50 player in the history of the game? No. An assassin that would be deadly if he was the second player on the team. No doubt. Can a, can a guy with that with that alpha yes. way about him be the second it player? It depends who it is. Who, who in the f- league right now could make him second? LeBron. Currently? Just in stature? Yeah. I used to feel this way about Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony was always, was never, he, it would never work out with him being the number one top dog. But, and the best version of Carmelo Anthony that you ever saw was in the Olympics. Why? Because he deferred uh, mm-hmm. to somebody. He was. Though he had led scoring, right? That year. Yes. The best version of Melo you got was when he deferred to whether it was Chris Paul running the point. Jason, his best year in New York, when he had Jason Kidd as his point guard. Because he mm. deferred to somebody that he respected. And the best version I think that you can get from Jimmy Butler is if you give him that person. That star that he can, like, if you put him with LeBron James, he will defer to LeBron, and you might get the best version of Jimmy that's possible. He didn't defer to Embiid. Jo- Joel Embiid wasn't what he is I don't now. Think, yeah, I don't think Embiid was that guy. Let me pose this, and I like, I mean, I love the passion. I love what, I love the general take on it, but maybe do you think I'm right that they're coming at it from different directions, meaning that with Carmella, he didn't have enough alpha in him, and thus being like the Batman. Oh, Carmella has alpha in him. He I think he has ego. He has ego, but does he is he ready to go over cut glass to win? Right. He he didn't seem like winning yeah, but, was his number one thing. Sure, you can look at, but I'm just saying that both of them are very similar in the way that Melo orchestrated himself out of Denver to get to New York to a situation that he wanted to be in and play alongside Amari Stoudemire and get oh, the big oh, did bucks. He want, did he want New York? He wanted Lime New like, York, yeah. of course, hey. but he wanted Brooklyn first. Oh, I didn't know. Was he, Brooklyn even Brooklyn when he was? Yes, he okay. wanted Brooklyn because there was the whole born in Brooklyn, right, even though he's raised in Maryland, wanted Brooklyn. And by the way, the Knicks play in the whole, I'm coming home. I'm coming. The guy grew up in Maryland. Uh, so you, he wanted Brooklyn at first, and that wasn't going to work out. So then he wanted New York. Okay. Now, if I'm not mistaken, because we don't want to malign him, he actually told Denver like months before he was going to not resign, yes, try to trade. Yes. So give him credit yeah. in a way compared to the way. But he, he forced himself out midseason instead of like. Well, he the gave Knicks, them an option. The Knicks could have gotten him in the offseason. Instead, they mortgaged the future to bring him in midseason, completely disrupting the rhythm that they had with a team that was led by Amari Stoudemire. And it but didn't in a work weird out. way, the fact that he wanted Brooklyn to start with kind of says the Knicks needed to have it some advantage, their right? Hand. Yeah. It did. Okay. Okay, so I think I liked your take. I like the New York flavor. It's um, if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's Scotts on Air. S C O T T S on Air. You didn't finish spelling on air. I think people got. Listen, we got a smart audience. <laughs> Scott, you know what's funny? I have a friend Scott that spells it with one T. Well, that's just weird. It is weird. Yeah, he's a weird dude. Yeah, and I don't want to get into it right now. With hundreds of thousands listening, but weird. 
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> right, George? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't want to dig too deep. <laughs> All right, Fez. We're gonna. You know what we want to do? Because Scott's almost hitting. He's got a show. He's almost hitting his deadline. Give me one topic we have yet to discuss that you have the strongest feeling on associated with the finals. Oh well, Marcus Smart Finals MVP. We heard that. Me. I'm Continue. just saying that my that's my strongest thing on these finals. All right. uh, I, I think that. Well, it's forty to one now. We are not. You're. We're not giving enough credit to Boston and 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 what they have versus what Golden State has. We've been talking a lot about the great, the greatness of the Golden State Warriors. But I think if you line up the roles, I don't think we've been talking greatness. I'm just. Oh, there's been a lot of gushing over the Warriors. I think if you line up the roles that the players play on these teams and compare them to each other, I I'm I'm, I'm arguing I'd rather have the Celtics every unit. With the exception of the bench, and I'll, let me explain. Steph and Clay give you the scoring for Golden State. Tatum and Jalen Brown give you the scoring for Boston. I'm arguing that Tatum and Brown are more dynamic right now than what Steph and Clay give you because Clay is not up to the level that I think Jalen Brown's giving you right okay. now in the playoffs. So I'm going to let you finish, but I do want to say the following caveat that I'll talk mm-hmm. about after, which is if it's game six or seven late in a tie game. Let's 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 assess what you're saying and then assess it separately sure. in that scenario because sure. I think it's going to be more scenarios you want going state. Sure. Okay. So I'm just I would rather take the athleticism, the dynamic playmaking ability, and the the different ways that they can come at you with Tatum and Brown versus Steph and Clay because I think Clay is limited to being a spot up shooter. Steph, of course, can facilitate, but Tatum and Brown could do it all. They can drive the lane. They can get well, to the basket. Brown can't dribble. They can get to the basket. They can create havoc. They can also hit the threes. Defense and rebounding. You got Draymond, Wiggins, and Looney versus Horford, Marcus Smart, and Robert Williams. I mean, Williams I'm, is uncertain with his health. If he's, well, We're going to talk about if healthy for everybody. Okay. Wow. I'm taking, because it comes into the bench con- conversation here as well, I'm taking the, the Celtics trio there. With all due respect to Draymond, I'm taking the Celtics trio because what Robert Williams has given me and Al Horford, who has really turned back the clock in these playoffs, has just been incredible for Boston. I'm taking that unit over this, the Warriors unit. So let's agree. Williams playing or not playing by smart people I listen to, it's a big difference. How- how much do you value that, Faz? Yeah, point. Because Horford's a lot better when he doesn't have to take on such, such an enhanced role, and when and when he does, he he plays much worse, in my opinion. Any thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I've noticed that. But I will say, defensively, the Celtics. What I what I saw in that Heat series is, if you take Marcus Smart out, if you take Robert Williams out, it's not as big of a loss to lose one of them because they they're such a good defensive unit as a team that the rest of their team can yeah, but cover. Yeah, ability it. to go. I mean, from what I and again, I'm not the type to watch a game and say I think I. Got to figure it out, even in the NFL. But the ability to get to the hoop and, and, and be effective at the rim with Williams in there is much tougher. It yes. Seems like. yes. So, you know, and, and let's be honest, what Golden State does well is not just shoot from outside. I mean, they are dunks and threes in a way. Yeah. So now the final unit is the bench. And that's where I think Golden State has an advantage if Otto Porter is healthy and playing. If Andre Iguodala, who we haven't seen since the first round, is playing. Ooh, that means because we don't need him if, if, if you haven't just, seen him since the, the first let round. Let me just compare the units here. I would rather have the depth with a Jordan Poole, Moses Moody, Kaminga, uh, the second unit, we, let's say, okay, mm-hmm. with with Paul Porter in there versus the Grant Williams, the Derek Whites, and the Peyton Pritchards of Boston. So depth-wise, 
I give the advantage to Golden State. They gave up a lot for White. He he hasn't panned out, has he? He's had, he's hit some threes. That's had his moments. And Grant Williams has actually played well, uh, pretty good as well. If Otto Porter's not playing for for Golden State, I think this conversation shifts, and I actually might gravitate towards Boston's bench. Over, oh, so you know he's you know State. he's all the way home or at that point. And these Lord. benches don't matter nearly as much now that the teams have a lot of time off. And the my like, point right? I'm making is that. If you actually compared what each group brings to the table, this series is a lot closer than this price, and I think the Boston Celtics are live to win this series. AJ, I think you should like this analysis because it's how you think. It's very binary. It's very like an old dice game. Like a history, like we used to have a wrestling dice game where it was like Bob Backlund versus Ric Flair. And if you rolled a nine, he put him in the sleeper. And then you'd have to roll dice to see if they'd escape. Mm. It's very stratomatic with wrestling. Yeah, it was kind of like that. <laughs> and and to me, it's almost like, well, check mark there, check mark there. To me, life is so much more complicated than that. As I think about the way this series could go, I think there's like 30 ways Golden State could win. Meaning you could mm. see Kaminga in the game. Do, and I look at Boston, I'm thinking it's Tatum or nothing. Who else starts the offense? Brown is a good ancillary kick out. He's not a guy. If Tatum's out because of injury or whatever, who is who is going to generate his own shot on that team? There's one player that can generate their shot, right? I mean, Golden State feels like they got so many different ways to win compared to Boston. The way that I see this series playing out is Boston defensively Locking but you're not down. answering my question, though. Who no. is going to generate a shot if not Tatum? Smart? Or it's a Grant Williams three, or it's a Derek White three, or but, it's but a Marcus that, Smart three. I, but everything you're saying is off of but the playmaker. I think they are more Who's of the a, playmaker? They're more of a team scoring. I disagree with that. I, I, if you take Jay, if Jason Tatum has a shitty game, like you yeah. did game three against the Bucks, or the game, game four against the Browns, they're heliocentric. Four. They was, really kind of are. But there I, was a game where, Jay, where Jason Tatum did have a bad game, and Jalen Brown scored 40. It, well, the game game three against the but Heat. But Tatum was in there still. To yeah. me, the question is, is there, he's got the ball. The shot clock's going down. He may yes. kick. He may not. He's a good pass. He's gotten to be a better. Um, game on the line coming out of a timeout. You draw it up to play for Jason Tatum. It feels like if if Jason Tatum shoots three of 14, the, Heat are, or the, the Celtics lose. If Jimmy Butler shoots three of 14, the Heat lose. If Steph Curry shoots three of 14, Somebody else can pick that up. I don't see that with the Celtics. But but, but have they? I mean, look at no, because Steph hasn't shot three of fourteen. But look Steph at the hasn't loss. Shot great. Look at the loss that they had to Dallas. Um, no, we're gonna go point out the loss. I'm just saying with the loss coach, where everybody played twenty minutes with their coaching. Well, they they played twenty because the game was out of reach. Yeah. yeah. But, but but remember, Kerr was in COVID and I and, uh, that game right the fifty point game. Yes. And to me, my thinking is. That Udoka is at a disadvantage here. That you got Kerr, maybe of the one of the. How most, could he not be? And and he maybe the bright lights get a little too much yeah. for him. Hey, the, the fact that I hear Scott's debate and I think, yeah, I could hear that. I see that, and then I see mine. I see a, this is a great series because it's I like, agree. I'm so thankful for because yeah. if the Heat would have won, this would have been it would have been a stinker. I think that's true, and and look, they they brought in. I mean, we haven't talked Scott Foster yet, but they brought <laughs> in Foster, and historically, what is it now, 13-0, 13 straight Boston's won with Foster? 
I think it's some crazy number like that. Steve Kerr's got a pretty good number with Scott Foster too, though. But again, they're fine. Who wins now is what I'm saying is, isn't it interesting that they brought in Foster because they wanted Boston in this oh, finals? Yeah. And I, I do think we're un, we undersell. I, I tweeted this. Okay. I said um, I used a line from The Running Man. I'm like Captain Freedom to wardrobe, please. For for in other words, get. Was there any context of that? Yeah. So what happened <laughs> is that Arnold Schwarzenegger was like killing all no, the no, stalkers. No, I'm saying, did you include any context in the tweet? Oh, I did. Yeah. So, so I said the NBA, the NBA clearly wants, the NBA clearly wants to see a people, Boston. People texted RJ. Can you check? They want a Boston Golden State <laughs> final Captain Wardrobe to do. Captain Freedom to the referee wardrobe, please. And Scott Foster's Captain yes. Freedom. Yes. I see. I see. Everyone <laughs> connected the dots now. I mean, listen, I'm not judging what you just said. <laughs> you agreed with it. No, I'm talking about the way you said well, it. Well, yeah, but that's just He's semantics. <laughs> All right. All right, boys, it's the one commercial. There's rumors that, that I've always just lately, I've said, I don't want advertisers. It's well, coming. The bosses are coming in, you know, fake bosses, but still, I usually acquiesce if there's money involved. It's, it's coming. That's what I'm saying. So enjoy the fact, but listen, we're never, ever going to inundate you, ever. You know that. Even when we were at Podcast One, we didn't do that. And in this case, we're always giving you extra value. And here it is. Baseball is becoming a priority. And the reality is there's a lot of people kicking butt in the bases. And we've got a coupon code for you. This is pregame.com. You go to the site, you hit buy picks. And now I'm giving you a coupon code and it's MLB20. That's the letter M as in major. The letter L as in league. B as in baseball. The number two, the number zero. So it's five characters. MLB20. MLB20. And what's it good for? 20% off. Now, how good is it good for? Up to the all-star break. So it's really okay. Baseball's taking the primary position. Time to give you a discount in baseball. Why? Because some of you haven't played baseball. The ones that have, you're happy. Hey, enjoy it. Enjoy the extra coupon. But I'm going after the ones that have it. Oh, I'm not a baseball person. This is a good time to dabble. Now, you can only use it once per customer. You can use it oh, on a season, on a week, on a pick. Whatever. MLB 20. Now, who's doing well amongst the pros? All right. We've got Andre Gomes, a guy who is an NBA specialist, but he loves baseball too. He's up 72 effing units. Gomes, on the season, oh, not the season, on the calendar year, he's up 72 units. That's stunning. And he does baseball. Good fella. He's up over 50 units. Now, if this was AJ, he'd go 51.48. I'm going to just say over 50. Right? Keep it simple for the people. That's, again, year to day. And, oh, look, right behind Goodfella at 50.82. Barely over 50 units, Fez. Over 50. No, now I think about it. Let's get specific. <laughs> 51.48 for Goodfella, and Fez is coming in third at 50.82. Way behind. What do you think? Over 50. <laughs> But you know something? You know you got a good crop of pros when it's the if you hit just 49 units. Let me think. It's not even half a year. I'm going to do the math, Fred. You're on pace for over 100 units. More. <laughs> no, just about 100. All right. <laughs> That's how good this is. And you get 20% off. And you get your pick. Mackenzie, by the way, 
And you wouldn't listen. Let's give the guy credit because it's a shocker. He's up over 55%, like 300 picks. What's your current numbers? 56.6%. That's the market of the beast. 175. Oh, wait, that's 66.6. All right, go ahead. 175, 133, and 6. Doesn't it seem like he's biased? No. <laughs> <laughs> Fez, are you 56.5%? Are you I just pay attention to units. You know what some people say? If you're uh, if you're 56 and over, not playing enough games. Not playing enough games. Exactly. It's really an error. It is. But I wouldn't say that's the case in the short term. <laughs> so we're having fun with him. But that that is a theory. If over years you're hitting 56, it means there's the next batch of games are winners, and you should be playing them. Yes. But not, and even though it's 300 and some games. How many games? 314. So you've been low volume. You've been sitting on your record, huh? Especially with less games, it's harder to pick winners for sure. Now that's the right answer. This guy's kind of got to figure it out. Huh. What would you put as over? I, would you, I got to tell you, I know you're going to say like 52.6. If, if you get, I, that's an interesting thing. We'll do it before the start of the NBA. I want you to put an over under on McKenzie. And if he hasn't pissed me off between now and then, I'm going to bet over. 53.4. <laughs> that's too high. You wouldn't normally do that. You would well, you put, tipped your hand. It's very un-RJ-like. Which, which means I was saying, let's do this friendly style. And you said, no. <laughs> All right, 53. No. I think you would say he's, he's maybe a, maybe 52.55, I could say. like He's a slight favorite to be a winner. He's Mark of the Beast, 56.6. got to take that into consideration. <laughs> you know what's funny? I've never seen him scared of McKenzie. He is scared of McKenzie. Our boys growing up. You go. He's almost 40, but <laughs> I mean, th- what are you, 32 now? Yep, that's right. And you got laid, what, last year for the first time? Is that? What? No, there was a big hubbub. You didn't hear about it like, a few podcasts ago? We all talked about it. That you finally got laid? You weren't a virgin anymore? <laughs> what was the hubbub? Uh, Fez hooked me up with a strip, beautiful plaza hotel Please, room. I don't, oh, stop, stop, stop. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. I won't be able to eat dinner. <laughs> It would put me off my brisket. He wasn't there, to be to be fair, to be honest. Oh, that I never even thought. <laughs> I didn't that. hook him up with the girl, just the room. It'd be fascinating to see if 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 Fez had a screen with scores in front of him and Mackenzie's banging in the same room, oh. where, his, where his eyes would be at any given point. Mm. Mm. Uncomfortable uh, thoughts. Ponder. Yeah. But here's what's comfortable, 20% off, MLB 20. We got the winners. We got the picks. We got the discounts. Now, that's a commercial, MLB 20, but you can't wait. Act now. Let's talk about – go ahead. I want to talk about hedging. Let's wait. Okay. (laughs) Because I do want to wrap up the idea of what the line should be here. Because I believe the following. If you like Golden State, you got to look at the series. I don't think it's any given game. I think three and a half feels a little high to me because I, I do think it's a, it's a fair debate that if you say these are even teams, even teams, and some people might think Boston's better. I think most people think Golden State's a little better. So if we say I'm going to go one notch towards Boston and call them even teams, now why should this be 155? And I'm thinking, well, home court. Mm-hmm. Now home court, what, what do you value it at for game seven? We talked at the very beginning. You were, I said minus 130. Okay. We can debate. Now, if you do the binomial, and I haven't double-checked the work, but McKenzie says 120 comes out. I think McKenzie's number's right. Confident of that. 
Okay, we're talking the pure math, and yeah. all we would do is say, if you have a three-point favorite, three-point favorite, three, it's going to get to game seven so many times. What's the difference between being plus three or minus three in the one game is what it's going to be, right? Yeah, and there's no way my minus 130 number is going to hold water on a binomial. But, but, I can but, but now the question becomes the fact that the market prices it above 120 speaks to my point that there's psychological elements that give that home team yes. advantage. Yes, yes. Right, so let's just call it 135 for the sake of argument, okay. that's low. You know, I, I think that's lower than most people, but higher than the binomial. Okay. Now we got to make up 20 cents. My point is whatever you think of Boston, how much less do you think of them when it's game six or game seven? And like, literally they have to close out go. Cause remember if it gets to game seven, they got to close out Golden state in Golden state. Do you feel And We'll ask Scott first. Do you feel near as good? Whatever you feel about Boston, you can still think they're going to win, but you got to admit in game six or seven, if they're close, especially seven, if they have to close out Golden State in Golden State, they're up by 11 entering the fourth. Whatever that line is, that line is, is favoring Washington or uh, the Warriors much more. Wouldn't you agree? Then it would, in all things being equal. Yeah. Especially if it's on the road. Yeah. You're saying, in game yeah, seven, yeah. it would be, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, my thought, Fez, is how do you, is if Boston's going to play well per minute? but is going to play much worse in the highest leverage spots. How do you account? Do you agree with that? And how do you account for it? I don't know. The fact really? that, and the fact that they were able, remember, they don't, don't, don't give me this. I said, really? <laughs> you see what you said? Not, what's the right word? Oh, I said it was really. With an extreme questioning eyebrow. <laughs> going I, like I the rock is, smell yeah, what the rock is cooking. It. Go ahead. I just look at the, uh, they're facing elimination at Milwaukee. They came through. They're facing elimination at Miami. They came through. Now it's easy to say they collapsed the final th two minutes, and I agree at Miami. It was one. Of, it would have been the worst collapse in the history of the conference final. Absolutely. But they played really fine game for forty six minutes on the but road in a game out. seven. I mean, in a game does seven, is, does Golden State win that game? If everything was reversed, Golden State wins that game by eight or ten. No, what I'm saying is <laughs> oh, if, if they were even down by X oh. number of points with three minutes left. The way Boston plays, Golden State wins. Yeah. Basically, if Steph gets that final look instead of Jimmy Butler, yeah, it's over. Yes. So, and, and they took three away from him, uh, some call like 10 minutes later. Yep. And, and, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, that's right. And, I, I mean, I, I, I was keeping track of this. There were three times where Miami made three pointers after the whistle. Where there was a play where, like, you know, a player drove, kicked it out, and got called for the offensive charge, and the player that caught oh. it hit the corner three. So you're saying if that call doesn't happen, correct? The crowd went, yes. whoa! Yes, like, and there like was, no. Yes, no, it was no. like there was three moments. One That's of the, a good point. One of them, there was one definitely on an offensive charge, and another one uh, might have been. So what you're saying is, anti is anti concern. Boston's performance in Game Seven. Yes. Yeah. I like I like a guy that likes Boston, but he'll still come with the counterfactual. I like that. <laughs> no, it's like it's like we got to have an honest discussion. AJ, say something negative about Golden State. They slept, walked. In they game haven't four. changed their jerseys. No, no. no. Oh, so <laughs> the game they lost, they didn't play well. They didn't show up at all. So in a way, that's positive. Golden State. You're saying they can't lose if they show up. No, I'm saying I, I in an, in a spot where I would have expected them to step on the throats. They well, did. Teams don't when they're up three zero. You usually don't. Usually the other team gacks it away that game four. It's not so much the other team's so motivated, especially if the team's going home. The thing is, I wonder sometimes in those three zero spots if it's the home team in the fourth game. They don't want to go travel again across the country or a long way to play a game that they're going to be a nine point underdog. That's why they only cover forty two percent. That's what I'm saying. It does yeah. feel like it makes sense that Golden State's 
going home. They don't, you know, the gentleman sweep, as they say. I guess my biggest issue, my biggest issue with Golden State is there's been a couple games this year where it felt like they went in feeling like they didn't have to win, which I assume won't happen in the in the NBA Finals. Well, Michael was but, at 3-0 against Seattle and lost two. Yeah, but I like the game that they lost against Memphis by a million, and then that Dallas game, both of them. It just felt like oh, we're not going to win this. Okay, let's let's not try. So really, what you're saying is positive. No, I mean, they started off getting their ass kicked. They just quit, which is not a positive. You were saying the times they lost, you can point out and say they were not motivated. And I wish they were, but when they lost, they weren't motivated. No, what I'm saying is when they got— What I just said is what you're saying. When they got down, they chose not to fight. Which was smart. But it's not a positive thing to say about someone. But if I say A.J. wins unless he's not trying, it's an indictment of your effort in those games— or in that in those contests, but it still says you're better than your record. Or it's saying it says they, you're better than your record. Okay, then you, I won't finish what I'm saying. Go ahead, go ahead. They were unwilling to make an effort to fight I, back, which so I think is not an admirable their, thing. But when they try hard, they're better than their record. I th- yeah, I do think that. That's positive. That is positive. But, yes, <laughs> because their underlying statistics belie the fact of how good they are, because it includes some garbage minutes where they're like, eh. We'll get but them but I think game. every team – I don't think Golden State had any more of those minutes in a typical I don't game. know if Memphis had any of those minutes. But Memphis never was in a position to coach. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Scotty, we appreciate it. I'll leave you with these final words. Oh, okay. This is like a valid – Hey, is a, hey. Hey, yeah, I mean, this is interesting. <laughs> go ahead. Hold on. Let's see if we can uh, give it a little wind-up here. One second. Here we go. Let's see. One more second. Here we go. Here's a theory uh, for you to disregard – Completely. Uh, the floor is yours. Thanks to Boston winning and going to the Eastern, uh, going to the NBA Finals, and Luke Cornett being on their roster, the streak of having a former Nick or a current Nick represented in the NBA Finals extends for the. How long is it now? Every year since the NBA in his, in his, in his, uh, in his existence. So you're saying back in those Boston series. When Boston was beating the Lakers and Jerry West, that they had a former Nick on the team. Yeah. That's crazy. So there's never been a year that someone that was on the winning team. It was team, almost oh, in this the finals, year. In the finals, though. It was almost this year. But the Knicks no haven't won in 50 years. Correct. But there's been a player. Maybe that's the point. Cons- I, I was playing yeah. the game. That's <laughs> where the consternation comes from. So Sacramento should trade for Obi Toppin. I don't um, – <laughs> no, it's not that every Nick makes the finals. It's a Nick makes the finals. You just got to have one. Yeah. All right. Thank you, bud. 75 we, years. We may edit that a, last uh, part out. 75 I, years and it's been a – We may edit year. that last part out. I do think it's it's noteworthy that because the – Why is he – you know what I'm wondering? Why is he bringing his bag up to the mic to have the zipper effect it on? It on. It was on, wasn't it? It's like I'm leaving. I got to make a – I'm just I looking – everybody gotta, to know. <laughs> This man's triceps grow every knows. week. You've been going to the gym every day? My God. It's, it's, from, it's from betting blackjack. Jesus. It's, it's from betting you guys. <laughs> wow. We got some good ones going. Oh, hey, See by it. the way, real quick, yeah. I got an idea for next week. I think we should do a quarter. We should have two different drafts. And it doesn't have to be next week. I just want to throw it out there. Where we do like a quarterback draft and we do it by like QBR. So let's yep. say let's say we got to pick. Let's say um, let's say one, two, three, four. I'm thinking about letting McKenzie and Scott be. I want to have McKenzie and AJ maybe team up to, to hear them fighting. I think <laughs> it would be very interesting. But we have something where we're drafting quarterbacks, and the, their QBR average ends up being like somehow we figure how to grade it. And then the next week or week after, we do the teams where we're drafting and we count like playoff wins or something. Yeah, I think some. I I heard that. What show was it? They were doing drafts. 
and it, oh, it was on the um, it was on the athletic NFL show. They've been doing drafts. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. So let's think about it. maybe come up with an idea and, and like something where we have four teams drafting. Cool. and we're drafting different things. I like that a lot. Next yeah. week. Yeah. All right. See you guys. Okay, continuing. I hope we can make it. <laughs> Thanks, Scotty. Okay. He talked about that Nick streak. Mm-hmm. It also because the Celtics made it instead of the Heat. The conversation that we had last week about teams having a player who's either first team All NBA or two years removed, that's going to continue let's talk once about again. That. Let's talk about that now. I think we have to reevaluate how we assess it because the All NBA doesn't come out at the beginning of the playoffs. It, it came out recently. But the way we did it retroactively, again, looks good. Go ahead. Make the yeah, case. Every, with three exceptions since 1980. You have had either a player on the first team All NBA, which means you've had one of the five best players in the league that year. That year. Or you've had one in the two years prior. So they're recently removed from being one of the five best and players. And in the two years prior and in the this year, they've all been on it multiple times before. Yes. So, so it'd be like at least one other time and in the last two years or one other time in this year, which means now you could say if they didn't make it one year and they, uh, or they made it one year and did it the next or dropping off, how much can you drop off in one year? Right. So, and, and the exceptions make this even more kind of shocking. The, the exceptions are 89 and 90, the Pistons. All right. So which, think about that. Isaiah, go ahead. Yeah. Isaiah, he was one year from making, he was all, well, he made it like three, four years in a row, 84 through 86. He was a first team all NBA guard starting in 87, Jordan became the first team guard with Magic. So it was so Isaiah, Magic, Magic, Jordan, and then Isaiah. Yeah. So uh, so that prevents them from being it. The other exception is the 04 Pistons. Which who was the was one team that wasn't really about The any. real exception. Yeah. It was a, a team, team, team. So I want to come up with a way we can assess it before the playoffs start. Hmm? But, boy, that speaks strong. I mean, to say that there's only five. In some years, there's been two top five in the same team. So if we just say top five that year, it's like 20, what is that number is only like six or seven exceptions, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So think about it. in 50 or 40 years, like over 32, 33 times, it's like you have to have one of the top five players or you don't win it. Hmm. I mean, entering the playoffs, you could make the case there's five, only five teams that can make it. And some years, the top five, top five won't even make the playoffs. I mean, that really narrow. I mean, you seem seeming very unimpressed, Fred. Is this because you didn't come up with it or why? No, I'm thinking about it. I'm okay. thinking is it, I'm thinking is that the you obviously having a top five player really helps mm-hmm. and you have a go-to player and is there a little Scott Foster that he gets more calls under the brightest lights probably a combination of everything right and some of the exceptions would really surprise you that they didn't have a player that year like of the six teams that didn't have Go one ahead. that year so in 2019 Kawhi was on the second team and he'd been on first team so 16 Kawhi 17 and good, 20 he's not good enough in this case go ahead the 2017 warriors Steph and KD both on the second team. So I, I, that team doesn't have an A and I, we got to come up with a better, as much as I love how exclusive this is, it doesn't feel like the right system. Those 2014 Spurs, Kawhi was second team. Uh, that team, I think it's fair to say Kawhi wasn't first team yet in the whole league and either was Duncan. That and Tony team, Parker was actually the, the second team player on that. So Tony Parker had the best season of them b- but by that vote. But I don't think voting. he was a top five. So to me, I can accept that. In fact, when we just did it by our heads, that was a team I said that's a close call. One that will really surprise you, 1995, 
Hakeem was on the second team. Yeah, if not, huh. if, yeah. I mean, that's a, the fact that that standard's so high and it meets it so many times is shocking to me. It yeah. really speaks to how great you've got. And Miami wouldn't have made it this year, and, he, and Dallas would have. Dallas would have. State would have. You know what we should do is how many of the Final Four teams hmm. have it? Because I would think it's a high percent. I mean, it just shows you, man. It's like this is a best player league. Hmm. It really is. Which makes me think maybe Boston, because I think Tatum's probably the best player in this series. He's the only. I mean, I don't even think it's close. He fit, if, if you if but I mean Steph if, made first team this year, right? No, not this year. He would be last year. Okay, so Steph it, was second team this year. But it would have been multiple. He still meets the criteria, yes. right? It would be multiple yeah. years in the prior th- two. Yes. Okay. So or, or so one Luka, of the prior two, and at least and multiple, multiple years at some other point. So Steph and Luca both would have made it this year, mm-hmm. and and then when they announced Jason Tatum, that put him eligible. But isn't it fascinating that there's four teams in the Final Four, and three the three we think really legitimately. Now Dallas, we can debate after the the series, but entering it was like I thought Dallas had a chance to win it, and the one team we all thought probably couldn't, Miami, was the one team eliminated. Hmm. It's a good system. We, yep, I yep. think we can tweak at one level. Okay, we got Diamond Dave. We're going to do Diamond Dave and then our closing thoughts. We'll let Mackenzie come in. He's been nice and quiet. It's been very relaxing. My heart rate went way down. But I'll have, I can stand a little burst of heart, right? Diamond Dave, though, he has a pick on game one, game one, and it's on the total. Let's listen. NBA Finals, game one, I am absolutely betting the under 211 and a half. And yes, it does have something to do with Boston's defense, but it has more to do with Golden State's defense. The Warriors have the third best points per game defense at home in the NBA. The Warriors are obviously more rested, and to me, I think that means more time to prepare than it is a fatigue factor. And these two teams are 21st and 22nd in shots attempted per game, so we're not going to see a track meet. These teams are first and second in opponents' effective field goal percentage. Big deal. They played a 198 game in March. Granted, Curry only played 14 minutes in that game. They played a 218 game in December, which was with 122-point first half, and that will absolutely not happen Thursday. This is the lowest total for any Warriors game since February 7th. It's the highest Boston total since the Bucs series. The three of those games against the Bucs that had a total of equal to or less than 211.5, two of them stayed under, as did Five of the seven games total. You throw in a possible early feeling out process, i.e. first quarter under, and I will bet that they never play a pace to catch up, and game one stays under to 11 and a half. I like his stuff on pace. Uh, people think of efficient. I mean, totals are efficiency plus pace. 22nd and 21st, uh, 21st and 22nd, and shots attempted per game. So this is not a track meet. I think Boston's nervous in game one. This is a new stage for them. I think they don't shoot as well. I kind of like this. What do you think, Fess? I'm neutral. Mm-hmm. I There's like no, no discompensation. I gotta look that up. <laughs> the uh, the write ups is excellent. That um, Dave and his analysis. Mm-hmm. What concerns me, Mackenzie uncovered a really good trend that okay. says, and I like this trend that says if you have to play in a game seven, I believe. And then, which oftentimes... Why don't we let McKenzie give the trend? Please. McKenzie? So there's conflicting trends, and I actually like the one that points to the under here. So yes, uh, the Game 7 trend is if you play any team off of Game 7, your, your opponent did not play a Game 7, so you have a rest disadvantage. Those games go over 60% of the time. The thing here is we have a lot of rest for both teams. There's been 58 Game 7 since 2008 where the team played another game. 
In 55 of them, they had less than three days of rest. So this is a rare amount of rest for the Celtics. Okay, so here's the question. If we look at the rest being two days or three days, like uh, the spectrum of rest, does it feel like the the results are correlated to that? Yes, heavily so. So if either team has four days rest, you're looking at 2003 on 58% unders. If both teams have three days rest, which is the case here, 62% unders over 50 games. Yeah. All right. That that actually makes a lot of sense. That uh, a team that just won Game Seven and boom has to immediately play within the next two days the next game. And defense takes energy typically. Yes, and and also the Game Seven. Remember, it usually People is a very total. very depressed total. People are like, oh, I just saw a Boston total at one ninety eight. You yeah, know, type I think of that's thing. a great that's a great point. The perception of it. And also, when it comes to the team with rest winning the game, there's a correlation between rest or not. Meaning, if if the team's off the game seven without the benefit of a nice amount of rest, they lose a lot in game one, but not so much if they have rest. Right, McKenzie? Yes. Yes, that's right. If, if However, okay, uh, if a team is... The opponent has a lot of rest, and the team's off a of game seven. It's a very strong trend. It's fifteen and five. Well, but to that's the more not the situation team. here, though. It's it's because uh, I did the work on that, or at least I looked at the results and identified what I'm talking about. I'm saying if there's a situation that the tired team, the game seven playing team, has ample rest, there's really not this effect. And if if I'm wrong, give me the numbers. Is you know with what amount of rest? Because you, I mean, we had it broken down where it's like, okay, game seven is the criteria. Now we're going to say there's a spectrum of rest for those game seven play teams, and that spectrum lent itself towards if they have ample rest, the game seven gets invalidated. It's like it doesn't matter. Yeah, if they're playing a team that's off a of game six or obviously a game seven, uh, then it's not a trend at all. It's pretty much fifty fifty. Okay. So in general, what we're saying is the whole game seven phenomenon, or at least a big chunk of it is about the disparity of rest. And by definition, if one team uh, won before game seven, the other team wins in seven games, it's going to be more games played and less days of rest. Mm -hmm. And it matters for totals. It matters for sides. This doesn't feel – it feels like with Monday off, Tuesday off, Wednesday off, it's hard to say rest is the issue. I agree. So, you know, I've come full circle on this. I would look towards Dave's side, under. And I, I think the under-considered part of this whole series is Boston's nerves. They have not shown themselves to be a good team under pressure. They, listen, when you lose three straight conference finals and then you try to gack away the fourth one, I don't look at that team saying, that's the steady hand I yeah. want. with my. You know, I just don't. Yeah. And I think Golden State is the team, the number one team in the league, and maybe the number one team of the last 20 years. What team has had more experience entering a play? I know the playoff or experience disparity, but what team has had more experience entering a finals in this Golden State? Oh, team? can't be anybody. Since else. Jordan and the Bulls, yeah. right? I mean, maybe Lakers, but Lakers only had three, well, four finals trips. ESPN Stats and Info had this. There's been three times where there's a hundred plus game disparity. Last time was the Bulls, 1997. 123-game disparity for these finals. Okay, so it's not – Oh, but I would make the case that the Warriors just raw count is, is as high as any in that time. And now you count if, – if it's versus zero, then it's obviously a great disparity. I, I want to give them 223 games. I misspoke as 123 games, yes. So to me uh, – yeah, thank you. To me, game one, advantage going state. Game six and seven, advantage going state. Not, there's not a lot of games in the middle. I, I think that, that saying these are even teams is fine. Saying this is an even series, 
isn't accounting for that. So that's where I want to go next in terms right, of hedging. It should be the last, con uh, mostly last concept. I had an epiphany on this. Uh -oh. All right. So there's some people out there with Golden State, mm -hmm. eight to one to win the title. Some people with Boston, 10 to one to win the title. And they're thinking, should I edge? You know, should I look to play back, lock in a profit? Mm -hmm. The more I think about this, this is a seven game series. Now, in general, the hedge or not is, in your opinion, should be driven by what? By. Is it life-changing money? Are you talking about a big payout versus your bankroll? All right. So if it's not life-changing money, you just only want to bet the hedge if you think it's positive EV, that you would bet it if you didn't have the other bet. That's right. Because obviously then you'd want to bet another positive EV, EV bet. Yeah. So if you, if, if you had Boston, for instance, and you loved Golden State for whatever reason— in the series, you'd say, oh, great, I'll just bet where I'm totally hedged because out completely. Because you would bet even if you didn't have Boston, now you get the hedging effect, which makes it even a better So bet. instead of betting 2% of bankroll, I'll just bet the same amount where I don't even care who wins. Okay, well, whatever you, yeah. now we're making it too complex. Okay. Is, what I'm saying is, in, let's start over. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying, and try to follow me, because I let you talk, and then sometimes I want to guide it a certain direction. So tell me if you agree with this is in general, you're going to hedge, if it's not life-changing money, we'll talk about that, is if you think the second bet is positive EV. If it is a, a winning bet long-term, you would bet it even without the first bet, correct? Yes. All right. Now, if there's an exception to that, which is if it's like, let's say for uh, you, me, anyone in this room, if it was a $50 million win, now mathematically, if someone, get, let's say it was an even series, exactly even, a coin flip, I would take 20 million, even though 25 million is mathematically what I deserve, a 50% chance of 50 million. If the only way I could hedge out is take 20, I would take 20. Because to me, having 20, the utility of that money, 21 million, 22 million, 23, 24, 25, that utility is small. Getting from where I am to 20 million is very high utility. Thus, Strongly agree. Okay. I might take 14. Yeah, where that number is, it's probably lower than people think, actually, if you couldn't hedge out. I'll, I'll, I'll take five. <laughs> well, I think I might take a loan and, and book I'm, that. I'm, I like, at some point on principle, you're like, God, I can't take five. I'll cut, I'll cut you guys in if I get to that right? point. Yeah. So that, to me, is the way to think about hedging. People hedge way too much. I Read. hear people that are supposed to be professionals talking about you want every day to be a winning day. No. And think, and all you got to do is you want it to be, but you don't want to pay the premium you'd have to to exactly. hedge out all the time. Exactly. The vast majority of hedge bets you're making are negative expectation bets. You, you want to avoid them. Now, if you're someone that's going to freak out from having a losing day, if you're psychologically weak, then maybe it's the expect. Like Phil Helmuth, a famous poker player, will take pot splits at negative EV all the time. You saw that in, uh, mm. in the cash game because he, he would go on tilt, he says, if he lost. So he, he'd rather take 98% of the money or whatever. You know, that is a, that is an important psychological concept. If you have something like a 10 to 1 or even 40 to 1 or something like that, you to say, you know what, let me let me just earn something off of this, even if it's negative. Even. And I'm the opposite. I take pride when I lose those kind of bets because I'm thinking I did the right thing. So we all got our own psychology. But here's my epiphany. Mm -hmm. I've always thought about this pre-flop before the series starts. And then I said to myself, the light, I guess, mm -hmm. um, the, all the gears, off. yeah, the gears are turning here. Why do it? Why does it have to be a serious bet? Why not a, approach it like you did, where I say, you know what? If I like, if I Boston, I do a Boston, okay, to win in a future. 
Now, if I like Golden State in any one individual game, mm-hmm. I'm going to bet Golden State. You know, that's, no, it's not directly correlated. It's not directly correlated. It's indirectly correlated. So now I'm going to bet more on Golden State. If I like Golden State in a game. So let's say you have a $10,000 win if Boston wins the playoff or the finals. What would be your bet on Golden State? So let's say on a normal game one, let's say I like Golden State. Mm-hmm. And I normally would bet 1000 on Golden State. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to bet like $2,500. i am going to bump that bet size up big. Because the, he- the fact there is an element of hedging makes the risk less. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And let's say game four, I like Boston, okay? And normally I'd bet 1000 on Boston, but I've got this big Boston future. Eh, maybe I'll bet 300 on Boston, much mm-hmm. lower than my normal bet size, because I already have an implied bet on Boston so, for so, the series. So what you're saying is almost like sports books, and there's a lot of debate, if a book has a ton of exposure on teasers, it's not directly correlated, but they tend to want to be a little lopsided in the way that the teaser win would cause them to win money in the other pool, you know, because in general, it's a half a hedge. Yes. So you're saying if you're betting, if if you like the bet anyway, and you're betting with your ticket, bet less because you're already exposed a lot. If you're betting against the ticket, it acts as a partial hedge. Exactly. Okay, I can agree with that. I think that's dangerous territory. I think that people get into trouble with Kelly or the whole idea of money management when there are correlations, right? Because in a weird way, would I ever book a million-dollar bet? Yeah. If I had someone else betting the other side, if, if Fez wanted to bet a million on one, and you don't bet a million again, but if you wanted to bet a million and AJ wanted to bet a million on the other side, I wouldn't let you guys talk, but I would book both of them. Sure. As long as the, it was post up. So in general, that seems extreme, but that's really, in that case, your correlation's 100%. Thus, you take whatever limit you can because it's, 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 it's purely hedged. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think when people account for those, sometimes they do, or often they do it incorrectly. I think if anything, this is the best advice I could ever give. When in doubt, bet less games. When in doubt, bet less amount per game. Because the mistake you make if you bet less is you, and you, if it's a mistake, you win less. The mistake you make if you bet more and you lose more, it could knock you out. You ruin, as they call it in the, the, the theoretical uh, literature, ruin meaning going broke and being knocked out of the game is your greatest fear. The only way to lose money with positive EV bets. If I, every, this is Kalansky stuff, like uh, the whole theory of poker. If you have a bunch of positive EV bets, the only way that you can go broke is by betting so much on any one game that it knocks you out and thus you can't bet the positive EV anymore. You're done, right? If me and you were flipping a coin, I gave you plus 120 on a coin flip. How can you lose? If I force you to bet half your bankroll every time, no matter what, because I'm Bill Gates, you're not, you are going to go broke almost for sure. Yeah, it's a mathematical certainty, which I always struggle with. I'm like, it's certain I go broke. And if you go to infinity, yes, if you overbet, the Kelly criterion says, boom, you, you cannot survive it. You're going to have that horrible streak that's going to bust and, you. And if I make you bet half, it doesn't, it only takes two, oh, I guess with the half and half and half, how, you know, it would keep going. To, so however the setup would be. Because I only have a 10% edge on a plus 120 bet, right? I make it twice. So I win 120, I lose 100. Mm-hmm. So every 200 I wager, I make 20. It's mm-hmm. only a 10. So well, well, first of all, only ROI at 10% about as good as any better is going to get. Right, but that means I can only bet 10% of the bankroll, which means if I bet 20% of the bankroll, even if I have 1,000, I'm only betting 200, that's going to be too much. I'll go bankrupt. So if you're interested in Kelly, you can read about it. There's a lot of, there's the original text, which is like 400 pages. There's text about that, which are simpler. 
in general bet less games and bet less amounts because the it's asymmetrical the return on one hand you win more if you bet more when you win on the other hand you can go broke when you lose that is much more of a catastrophe than just not winning more would you agree Fez? absolutely your future earning stream is zero doesn't get any until lower you can get a loan and yeah. and then you start paying vig aj you agree with that i agree winning a little better than losing everything uh, he said that succinctly wow Hmm. Poker players do the opposite often. No, we were giving him credit, and you said, yeah, "I know." Fez is like, "Someone's getting credit. Let me jump in." <laughs> go ahead, make your glass. Well, game. just poker players are winning at two five, and everything's going well, and then boom, double whammy. They go up and play five ten, which not is more than double as dangerous because the players are better, and oftentimes they burn through a bankroll that they built up over six months. Now here's the catch twenty two with that. There's never a way to get ready <laughs> for a limit without losing at it. That's right. So it's a, in a weird way. You, the guys who aren't willing to lose ever are the ones that still are stuck at the same limit. Yeah. Or maybe they've, you know, if it's a weekend, it's two in the morning, I'll play for five. There days. you go. Mm. Find the 510 game that, that has but then players it's not comparable re- but to But then you're five. not really getting used to the game. It's a little bit of a hybrid, right? Yeah, yeah, Get used true. to it psychologically, at least. Plus, if you identify, like when I would go up to 510 before I was playing 510 study, I would not only wait for there to be a, a, a hometown hero that's got a lot of chips, but I also would only want to play against him. I wouldn't want to get – if a guy raised me on the button after a limp that was a pro, I was less inclined to call just because I didn't mm. want to get, get my money in against everyone but the fish. I wanted right. to do the vice versa. All right. We got anything out? I'm just going to go through my notes here. We talked about Jimmy Butler. We talked about, I would, I'm not going to overdo this until the series progresses, but I would make the case Golden State's the only team I've ever seen that's been able to win now and play for the future. If we did a, if we did a starting in 2025 draft, meaning how many playoff series would a team win between 25 and 30, 2025 and 2030. So five or six year period, however we thought about it right now, Golden State goes where in that draft Fez? I'm going to say Golden State goes second or third or fourth. They're top five for sure. I might, I'm, I think second, but I think Boston won, but Golden State too. Boston won. That at all. I think Dallas might be. Uh, well, I've got some odds Dallas for Dallas has had a lot of years. I got the odds for you for next year. To, to do something with Luke, and they haven't. Go ahead. So well, This is one year. One, this one year. Mm-hmm. Golden State six to one. Clippers seven to one. All right, so Kawhi's going to be out of it by yeah. 25. Yeah, so that's a sh- short Go ahead. time period. Boston eight to one. Mm-hmm. Then Brooklyn, 8-1, to one. Milwaukee, 8, Phoenix, 10. So Brooklyn's out of it. Milwaukee's in it. Uh, Miami, 14. Miami's heat culture, but next year, yeah. I mean, Butler's Phil- obviously getting old. Then Philly, Memphis, Denver. Got, yeah. And get this, Dallas is 20. They're 20-1. to one. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. I don't think Luca. listen, Lucas doesn't come into shape. When does a player <laughs> not come in shape and win tight? Nope, you're right. Mm-hmm. Now, but Draymond maybe, Green. Maybe this... <laughs> Well, but they didn't might win be the first. Title, but they didn't win titles the year that he was. In, he was in more in shape when they won titles. How about Zion? No, no. And and, and also, let's make the case too that that uh, Draymond wasn't the the alpha dog. We can I talk about all yeah. we want. Yeah. Uh, now, I would make the following case with that list. If you think about Boston, all, everyone that knows Boston says that Smart and his performance when he took over the point guard role this year has been the differentiator mm. as much as I, I think it's true that there's been a step up. Mackenzie, you've been good being quiet. You can jump in where you want now is, is 
uh, with Tatum, Tatum's improved a lot. Let's give him credit. But I think at least half of the difference between this year and prior years was Tatum and probably half was Smart. Or we can say, you know, a third each and then a third spread out. Smart doesn't feel like he's got a lot. I mean, is Smart near as good in three years? Is Smart no. feels like I don't think he's as old as he seems, but he seems old. Mm. I mean, I just wonder how much of this. I mean, do we? If Tatum keeps improving, he's going to be one of the best, if not top five. He's top five now in theory. He's going to be top two or three, if not the best. If he keep, if he has two more years like he improved since last year, he's the best player in the league. And he's only twenty four, right? He's young, so we'll see. So I think Boston's in the conversation. But when you say that by most people's accounts, it's Clay who's old, Steph that's old. Draymond that's old. If you say that team starting in year three from now is one of the top five, it's like, what? Yeah. Like, think of the Bulls in 98. Done. Yeah, I mean, think about, I mean, like, this would be one of a kind that a team can win, take a break, win again. And when I say take a break, that's a euphemism for sucking. And then in three more years, be winning again with a new cast of players. It doesn't happen in the NBA. It doesn't. Any thoughts, McKenzie? Jason Tatum, Kobe Bryant, and Kevin Durant, three players that scored 27 points per game, made a finals run at age 24 or younger. Just those three guys. What is it about him that no matter what position he takes, it feels like he's biased? It's his tone of voice. Hmm. It's like I was thinking, oh, here comes some pro, you know, going, but it was actually pro Boston. But it's his, you know what I think it is? It's when you take on your, like, hey, I'm on air voice. Yeah. To say that same stat, just normal. So Kobe Bryant did this. The great Kevin Durant did this. And Jason Tatum just became the third player, 24 younger, make a finals run, score 27 points per game in the playoffs. That seemed reasonable to me. Yes. Now do it in, the, in your fake voice. Ted Baxter here. No, 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 no. <laughs> don't, remember I said don't try to be funny? Give me your fake, your, your normal, affected voice. There have been three players in NBA playoff yeah, see, history. See, doesn't it seem biased? Yeah, <laughs> dude, we, we just uncra- we just cracked the code. Right Although there. when he did the unbiased version, he said the great Kevin Durant. Yeah, that kind yeah. of yeah. because he because he can't ever listen without sassing back. But he listens. He just has to sass back. You're sassy. I think that's right. I think it's that's a sassy lassie. He's not a woman. <laughs> You'd make him a woman if you were like, an Lassie island? literally means just woman. There's okay. no like other definition of that. <laughs> maybe that's not a right, maybe not the right. Okay, I apologize. <laughs> but the way he raised his eyebrow, like, really? Are you sure? I mean, that was weird. What was that about? <laughs> All right, I think we're good. Right? We got anything else, AJ? Any no, sir. Thoughts? Were you impressed that my vision with Golden State? I was impressed, but also disappointed, to be honest. That the, 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 the show leader was so sharp. No, that, <laughs> like, that's weird, is it? No, it wasn't that you were so sharp. It's just that you like it felt like this was going to be a pure win for me. Mm-hmm. I don't let that. And you soured it. Like, <laughs> well, we're, I'm going to get a little edit ready for air tomorrow. You hedged and it, it it hurts. No, but how often do I hedge? You don't. But that's that, why that's why this hurts. That's my point. I'm not one to double talk everything at all. I like to have staked out positions. Yeah. But as we were, and I didn't even have that as a position coming in because I didn't prepare for the pod. It was just like as McKenzie was helping me see some stuff, and we were looking at dunks and threes. I said, "Hey, there's a there's a there's a future here. They win this thing." I think you were very wise. I like. I think we end with that. Any closing thoughts, Fred? You want a best bet? Yes, and remember, we've got our time shift coming up too. We got two best bets actually. We had Esslers. That was under. 
And we've got Fez with one and AJ with one. First, my gal. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Go, Fez, go. USFL. Oh, my gosh. Oh, What's no. your record? 5-11. and 11. So is this fade material? It's going to be 6-11 and 11 after this wins. you li- you got to like the confidence. Pittsburgh, <clears throat> New Jersey, under 42 and a half points. You weren't points. playing any totals. Now you're, sh- you're one of those dudes that shifts when he starts losing? Let me explain why here. The <laughs> last do more the same. You've told him. The That's last true. three weeks, the USFL has had an unprecedented run of overs. 11 of the 12 games have gone over. Okay, now, do, now my question is, how much has the totals increased during that time? The totals have gone up from the mid-30s three weeks ago, average around 35. The average this week is 45. They've gone up 10 points based upon that wow, three-week. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. Now, a big part of this, I've watched a lot of these games. There have been there have been defensive <laughs> scores. There have been 60-yard field goals. There has just been crazy scoring that's happened across the board. But what has happened here is that the second these totals came out this week, they all got bet over. Up, 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 because 11-1 run to the over. However, just reading the market, now the money's coming in on the under on this game, this one particular game. So the other, how many games? There's four. There's four, yes. So the other three games are all the, the public. It, when the public, the, the betters. There's no public. The betters are betting over on the other three, but they're betting under when on this game. You say there is game. no public. You're meaning the action in this market is going to be mostly professional. Exactly right. So why, when you're on an 11 and one over streak, and everyone is hyping what every game's going over, is money coming in the under because it's. A great story to play under in this game. You got two teams, the Pittsburgh Maulers and the New Jersey Generals, that both rely on the run. They run the ball more than they pass. In fact, here's a stat for you Pittsburgh, who is a god awful offense, last week they lost by 10. They had nine passes, they had 30 runs. When have you ever seen a football team run the ball 75% of the time when they lose what's by the, double what's digits? The line in the game? So the line on the game, gosh darn it. Current numbers nine. Okay, so do you think is there a possibility here that you look at a parlay, right? Because I kind of like the idea, but but you know what's funny though, I kind of like the favor on the money line because mm-hmm. wouldn't you say running so much behind is saying we're gonna? It's the opposite of the high, like the Chargers. They're playing high variance. They could get blown out by a lot, but they can win games you wouldn't expect them to win, right? Yes. The whole kind of NBA in, in these margin of victories is teams that get down shoot threes to create variance, and most of the time you lose by more, but you win a few more comebacks. Isn't this the opposite of that? Absolutely. And just last week, Pittsburgh was playing Birmingham. They're an 11.5-point underdog. They lost by 10, so he almost yeah. landed right on the like number. I almost the money line on the favorite with the under, which seems inversely correlated, mm-hmm. but in this case, it's only inversely correlated if the team that's down is trying to throw the ball. In this case, they're not. They're not, because all the that Pittsburgh wants to do. The Maulers have an old-school coach that wants to establish the run. I don't think he wants to be embarrassed is what it is. Even uh, old-school knows you throw when you're behind. Yeah. I mean, what else could it be? And I mean, I bet his win, I bet his rushing percentage goes down when they're losing. It just doesn't go down as much, as much as you might expect. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's not old-school. I think it, yeah, because even... Like, even in the 70s, they knew to throw. If you're down eight, in, well, I guess there was no two-point conversions back then, but okay. Let me ask you this, though. Wouldn't you agree that the market going up is warranted? 
Because if anything, having a team that wasn't really a team, having a real short, if it was a team that was this discombobulated in the NFL and in week four, five, six, they started scoring more, you'd say, hey, they're finally getting the rhythm together. It makes sense the scoring would go up, right? It, it does. Just not this much. Not this much, especially considering halfway through the season after week three, they changed the rules. They have a running clock now after incomplete passes, first and third quarters. Obviously, that should bring scoring down. So the score, the rules that were favorable for the offense, now I would argue they're less favorable for scoring because the games are shortened versus an NFL game. So the official pick? Official pick, we're going under 42.5 Pittsburgh, New Jersey, Friday night. That's Steve Fezzik. Follow him on Twitter, at Fezzik Sports. F-E-Z-Z-I-K, that's Fezzik. So it's at Fezzik Sports. A.J. Hoffman. College football win totals, University of Washington over seven and a half wins. New head coach, Kalen DeBoer, his offense has worked everywhere he's gone. Last last year, Fresno State, Jake Hayner became one of the best quarterbacks in G5. Now he goes to Washington where he's got a nice group of quarterbacks to choose from. Michael Penix Jr., who he actually coached at Indiana when Michael Penix Jr. was actually good. He was being coached by, by DeBoer. And... They've got the son of a former NFL player, Damon Damon Hurd. His son is a five-star recruit who's at Washington, so he's got better players to choose from than he's had in the past. The, the real thing here is scheduling, though. They avoid the two best teams in the Pac-12. They avoid USC. They avoid Utah. God damn it. Who's they? Pronouns, pal. The Washington Huskies avoid USC. Washington avoids Utah. So they avoid the two best teams in the conference. And I think that this is a very, very good schedule, the way it worked out for them. Three very winnable non-conference games, Kent State, Portland State, Michigan State. This is a good chance for them to put in this new offense and have some real success in what I think is going to be a down Pac-12. So them is over. Washington is over. Seven and a half wins. All right, it was a good, it was a good analysis. I just, I, I got to work on the they and them. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, no, no, I was just saying, I, it was hard to follow, but it sounded good. What do you think, Fed? Yeah, I love it because I think about the the Pac-12 South, mm-hmm. and it's true. You've got. I like, never think about the Pac-12 South. You got, Arizona is total garbage. Um, you know, Arizona State is average. Colorado below average. UCLA average. Boy, but I don't want to play Utah. They're loaded, and USC is always good. And the total is what? Seven and a half. Okay, so eight wins. We got a college football expert here. I I can't name names. Thumbs up or down? Up, up, okay. Didn't we have a huge bet on Cal at that point? We had like multiple people on the team, and it was like going to go over six and a half, and they, they won like three games. You don't remember? You forget all the losers. <laughs> 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 I mean, five, six years ago, we were at Treasure Island. That's what I'm saying. We had people inside, is what I said. Yeah, exactly. I know who it was. All right. He's out of the game now. Maybe that, maybe there's a story there. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Now, we got what's left is the uh, – it was a really fascinating conversation about Kyrie. If you want, there's not a lot of picking in it, and it's about what 15, 20 minutes. That's coming up. If not, and to hear Fez on is out. That was there too. If not, we'll see you next week. Again, taping Tuesday, out Wednesday morning. Enjoy the playoffs. We'll be what? How many games in? Two, three games in at that point, right? Or two? Because it's Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, then Wednesday. So we'll, only we'll be, be two games in. Two games in. All right. Here it comes. <laughs> that was a hell of a shot. There was rumors, not to get off subject, rumors about Kyrie getting traded to the Lakers. 
That would they said the whole thing at the barbershop or whatever where he said he took blame for that was mm -hmm. setting it up is what the rumor is. That boy, tell me how interesting Kyrie well, in LA would be. And Kyrie has a player option. Does that so mean like, Russell Westbrook's on the uh, on the Nets? The back theory, with, back well, with Durant. That's the theory. Yeah, or the theory is they do a three way. Westbrook goes somewhere else, and Ben Simmons is somehow out too. Or yeah. I, I don't even. Know. Would he ask the pilot to fly a straight line instead of curving over the you know northern part funny, of the country? Though, is to me that's so reductive. I don't. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously an intelligent person, right? I mean, just hearing him talk. I mean, he went to Duke. And I don't care if you're a basketball player or not. Yeah, Getting yeah. into Duke, you're not stupid, mm -hmm. right? So, and that was, the, I think it's just shown he's open to... And Conspiracy theories. He's neurodivergent, you know? <laughs> I don't even think that's a, I don't even think that's a conspiracy theory, right? But who he's would open be, to who, conspiracy theories. Who would theories. be plotting that the no. earth is flat, you know, like, <laughs> but like there's a cabal? But he's open to them, I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, he's open-minded yeah. in a weird way. I tell you this, most people that I think are the most intellectually limited are very closed-minded. You don't hear intellectually limited people often being expansive in their thinking. They're usually, like, very narrow. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. But, but what I know is this. The guy's got guts. I don't agree with a lot of his decisions, but just think of how easy it would be for him to be loved. Because his game, Kyrie Irving's game, is beloved by NBA players. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? You've kind of caught wind of that, right? Yep. Scott? Is that, I mean, they love his game. They like, God, I can't believe what he does at the rim, the way he finishes. So if you're a cool guy, I mean, he's obviously a, went to Duke number one pick. He's a cool guy by society's standards who is one of the most talented players that's ever walked the earth. You could say he's the best small finisher in the history of basketball, and that'd probably be correct. Right? You agree Over with that, I do. I would also say he has the best handle that we've ever seen in, yeah, in the Yeah, maybe NBA. Iverson, maybe the finish, it's him and Iverson, but with the handle, I think it's him. I mean, he's right in the – and Iverson's a legend. I mean, right. I still remember in The Wire when Cuddy was talking to his ex, and he finds out that the ex – has a, a a kid. He was in jail like 15 years, and and she goes, yeah, Alan. He goes, oh, named him after Iverson. It was like the idea that he would name the kid after I or she would was normal, right? And this was like 2005 or six, which it would have been like when he was really doing it. They would have been together. It was he was that big. So Kyrie, if he's even in that conversation, which I think he is. So think, what would he have to do not to be beloved? He would either have to have some kind of, even if you had a murder charge on him, it wouldn't really, no one would care. See, Oh, not no one, but net net, he'd be fine. Ray I mean, Lewis Ray, is still Lewis, yeah. tremendously popular. I think it's love some, it. some kind of sexual assault, you would say, but but Kobe. Kobe came out all right. Yeah. Yeah. However you want to say allegedly there or whatever. So I'm not sure what he would have to do other than say something that someone like Fez could then just parrot for the rest of the time to say he's dumb. Right, yes. and it's kind of made him where he's still beloved, but 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 amongst ca not casual fans, but let's say non-urban, non-inside the NBA kind of mentality. So it took guts. I think he knew. I mean, let's just say this: it takes balls to do something that could make you unpopular when you're yeah. that inclined to be unpopular. He's had other moments too. Well, there like was what? there was the one thing where he said that the 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 floor. Uh, was affecting differently because they painted the floor differently mm -hmm. as like, you know, like one of the theme nights or whatever. And he complained about the court not being the same. It's the same floor. They just painted it. But he was but wasn't convinced, the parquet, but wouldn't that he was convinced that it was a different floor. And that's why he was affected and the ball was affected. And he was complaining about was he the home? court. Uh, uh, yeah. 
Well, I would yeah. I would say that is a factor because everyone like even the logos are a little bit different, you know. Well, I, the I think whole parquet floor thing at the old Boston Garden was about that it had different bounces, right? Now would paint affect that? It seems like it, the ceiling, the I mean, there's those little strips, right? What are those called? I'm just trying to say the point is he thought that the floor was different when it was just but painted. It, it wasn't the different wood. It was it was the same court that he's played but on. But it, it's the same configuration or not? Because, same court, same okay, everything. Because I just know like when you play on your home court, they just, just change the, the color where, where the, the cracks are and the concrete and the like. Right. You're used to where you're they exactly you're standing. It. Yeah. The theory is that that could break in, right? Like, like it seems like between the floorboard. Here's what I know: the guy seems to be a nuanced. That, like to me, what's funny is, and I'm not saying you're wrong or whatever, mm -hmm. though I think you are. Uh, <laughs> Jim Palmer, the famous story in the Empire, the Umpire Strikes Back. So Ron Luciano wrote a book uh, as an umpire, and he said that he used to whenever a pitcher would say throw the ball back. He said, give me another ball. Mm -hmm. He would always put that ball back into play, like three or four. See if they noticed. Ball, and see if they noticed. He said the only pitcher that ever noticed, and he noticed every time, was Jim Palmer. Mm. Right? Famous winning pitcher. Yeah. And to me, that glorifies Palmer. It's like that guy was so nuanced. Yeah. But in a weird way, couldn't you say the spin beat? Kyrie even knew when they painted the floor, it was affecting the bounce. That's why his handle's so great. You could almost spin it that way, you right? Know, this, that's a great point. But, and, you know, this Luciano was like it's so much a higher level than everyone else. I remember in the book, there was one— Well, he was a showman. I'm not sure he was at a higher level well, as an ump. But, 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 but he was saying, like, there wasn't an irregular shift on, okay? And a right-handed batter hit a hard— Base, uh, base hit up the middle, mm -hmm. and Ozzie Smith was able to get to it and throw the guy out. And Luciano said, "I wanted to call timeout, walk over, and thank him for that because I've seen this this ball hit a yeah. hundred times in my career as an umpire. No one has ever fielded that ball and thrown that batter out except for him." It's always great to hear the guys inside the game. Like even on radio, you can hear guy like a guy. So like, okay, this is the story with Kyrie. All right, all right. He thought. That so now the true story is coming out. The true story is out. So when the Bucks painted their court for their return to Mecca night, right? Kyrie thought that they were using the actual old court from 1977 <laughs> to 1988. And he said, quote, I'm all about safety, so we'll see how it is on my knees. We'll see how it is on everybody's bodies. I know this, so, is, a, this so is an older court. Looks like it's fresh painted, but... He, so, was, but he was upset on. about so it. Wasn't, he was, it wasn't after he played on it. It was him speculating yes. what the effect was. He, 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 was okay. he was upset that it was going to affect his knees and it was going to be an older court, well, but to, it was just the, the same court to, just painted. To be fair to Kyrie. When, I'm not I'm, even sure that how that's negative. Like, how would he know if it was going to be the same court? And, and these guys sometimes during hockey season, they have to play when they – and the court can be slippery he, he from said the condensation it, from it the hockey me, ice. It took me know? three steps to realize this is not the same NBA court I'm used to playing on. We'll see what's up. That's interesting. Am I wrong? that Kyrie after after he won with LeBron when he kind of wanted to get away from LeBron there were people who were saying the fact that he he was saying he would he should he could have won without LeBron he didn't need to be the number two that kind of rubbed people the wrong way it felt like but in me. a weird way the guys that aren't willing to say that are the ones we bash for saying they're not they're betas sure but then he ends up with Kevin Durant Oh, wow, but well, he was in Boston. Listen, obviously, he's a difficult person, right? I mean, no one's debating. Maybe it's that. like this Princess and the Pea like story where she sleeps on ten mattresses and she can detect a pea like beneath the tenth mattress. She's so sensitive and above. Um, but in this case, he was saying it before. You know, it yeah. doesn't seem like it glorifies him very much that story. Now that we got the true one, <laughs> but all I'm saying is this: if. No one on earth would be talking about that story if he didn't say the flat earth. Yeah. So he 1, said one thousand percent. He's I a just, target. And I just don't. Well, he's a target because he's white. America is going to look at him and say they're threatened by. I mean, I think the show. Um, 
uh, Winning Time is very. Are you watching that by the way on no. HBO? Very. And no one else is either. I finished it. You're not even. Oh, finished I yet. forgot. I, yeah. You're right. You were. Is wouldn't you say that one of the main narratives in the story is? how white America is going to look at magic versus a guy like Kareem and where Kareem was conflicted where he didn't want to make white America happy the way they're portraying it here. Mm -hmm. And magic was fine. He just was going to get along. However, he could be the most successful, you know, like a great life is, is, is the ultimate revenge or whatever, as people say, he was more, it wasn't like he didn't know white America was in a way racist or whatever, but he was willing to play the game to be successful. Is that, Yes. Fair way. Yeah. And, company man. Yeah. And exactly. Yeah. And I think Kyrie is not a company man, but so was AI wasn't a company man, but people loved the counterculture loved AI. And with Kyrie, I think the hardest core do, but I think there's a lot of middle ground people that will just dismiss him because of that flat earth. And to me, that feels way reductive. If the flat earth thing never happened, do you think people get as upset about the vax thing? I don't think the black community was upset at him. I think it's a lot of white journalists. I mean, but this has been one of my uh, bailiwicks, maybe is the right way to say it. Where I've beat on this point is I truly believe that, in, well, in fact, it's undebatable. In the black culture, the amount of players vaccinated or the belief in vaccination is is rock bottom. And I think in hindsight, it, they they feel more empowered now because of the way everything's gone. I mean, we, we got to admit and make, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, because you were Mr. Vax, you were hazmat suit guy. The whole, I mean, he was I good. smoked a cigar two years ago. I'm, I'm a smoker. I'm eligible for that Vax. Remember when Mackenzie <laughs> and I cut the line? Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. What a guy. <laughs> hey, grandma, you wait. Right, you'll get the next round. I'm here. I had a cigarette once. <laughs> Did you ever have a cigarette once? Uh, no cigar. Cigar, like once, once a so year. He had smoke. You didn't inhale. No, I, I inhaled the cigar. You're not supposed to inhale cigars. I inhale. No wonder baby. you didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes great. You sure it wasn't just a blunt wrapper? How did it? What did it smell like? Was it a Swisher Sweet? You're talking a cherry tip. You're, I, 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 you're talking. To the, it's like it's like asking me what kind of wine Black am I drinking. Alcoholic <laughs> kinds. All right. So so doubling back to you as the advocate of of um, the vaccine is it does seem weird, doesn't it? That one day we were at the point where it was like as serious as ever. Like if you go out without a mask, you're evil. And then it's like literally like. Eight days later, no one had masks on. Everyone's shaking. It was like, how did that happen so quick? I think <laughs> I don't want to speak for society. Well, please do. I, but I will. <laughs> the masks don't. The, the masks actually are very preventative. But it's not because they stop the virus from going through the mask and going and, and being transmittable. The mask actually slowed the virus considerably because it kept everybody from going out because it was so such a pain in the ass mm -hmm. to wear the mask in public that half the people said, screw it. I'm not even going to go out if I have to wear this stupid mask. Can't talk to each okay, other. Okay, but whatever the cause of it being effective in your mind, how did it go from being vital to not mattering at all like in eight days? It's not rational. It's not rational. Because what happens is the 
guys at the top and sitting above the city in their little pods or whatever say, well, we don't have to tell anyone the truth. Why would that be? We'll just keep telling them wear the mask as long as we want. And then, and by the way, if we have a business meeting or a political fundraiser, hey, we'll sit there, eat outside without the, we'll eat inside without the mask. And that's for the little people. They got to, but one day we'll tell them, you know, it's convenient for us now. The masks aren't important. It's like we're being misled so much. It's a great point. So like I can be in, in an empty deli and I had to wear the mask six months ago, but now I can go play 10-handed at the World Series of Poker. No problem. Well, this also happened. Don't need that We saw people come around to Kyrie Irving as, yes, I agree. as things kind of developed here where, you know, New York City lifted the, the vaccine mandate and Kyrie was able to be in the Barclays Center. He could sit courtside and watch his yeah. team play. But when he stepped foot in the locker room, yep. he was fined $50,000. And he was not able to play. Great and I point. I think people Great started point. to come around and def- like get on Kyrie's side. Hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. And to me, if you're in a position of power, it's a great point, Scott. If you're in a position of power, the thing you got to be fearful of the most is hypocrisy. Because if someone can say, yeah, ignore that because it's BS, that's pervasive. That goes across everything you say. And it feels like, like Bill Simmons, who's a liberal by all accounts, if you listen to him, I don't hear many conservative views from him. Fine. He says that this is crazy. I'm supposed to walk in with the mask. If I don't have the mask, I can't walk in. As soon as I sit down, I take off the mask and I'm eating. And it's like, it's like none of it made any sense or a lot of it didn't make any sense. And I get it from the position of power. You're saying in general, we want to push people in a certain direction, Mm -hmm. but if you can't make it logical, you got to admit it's not, you can say, listen, I get, but we think we're better off. Like if someone just talked like a human, I think we could all deal with it, but they're always talking to us like we're children. And, and, and let's be candid. The ability to fool people into voting for you is not a great reason to be leading. And I, I guess at the very core, that questions democracy. But then the question is, well, if democracy were merit-based, I think democracy would be great. Collective IQ, who's the best to lead? But does anyone think politicians, it's about the quality of their thinking? It's about their ability to put on a, a, a deception. It's about, it's all, I mean, look at well, Obama. You, you heard, you, you well, heard, let me make this point about yeah, Obama, because I don't want it misunderstood. I think Obama was one of the greatest candidates in history. His ability to get that vote out, his yes, we can. It was, a, it was something in 100 years they're going to be writing about, forgetting him being the first black president. I think as a president, it was more mixed to me. And I don't, we could debate it, but I'm saying it was some good, some bad. Those are two separate things, being being a good leader versus being a good candidate. I think that in this country, the candidates become so important. The leadership doesn't matter near as much. We're back in the day, it felt closer to me. It feels more superficial now, and thus your ability to Yeah, deceive. well, there's been a change, and, and I, I don't know when it happened. It could, you could say in the 80s, maybe even in the 90s, where uh, leadership in our country has become a collective where, you know, we used to joke around. You mean the parties? I'm just saying it, at the top. Like the president is not, it's more about the, the conglomerate with him mm-hmm. and, and and his cabinet and the organ and, mm. and, and so much where in the past, I think it was more about that one leader where the president had the power and was that one. person. And we, gra- we gravitated towards more of, I don't want to call I think it president. Like, I, it's not a figurehead like the Queen of England. I'm just saying it's more of a collective as opposed to just the one person that we look to. I think on the national scene, you're right that it's evolved that way. I think back in the machine days of, mm-hmm. poly, you know, in Chicago with Daly or whatever, it was so 
about the conglomerate, or in this yeah. case, the party. I think nationally it wasn't so much the case. And maybe it was, it's funny because, I mean, there's post-Roosevelt, FDR, and pre. Pre, it's so different you can't even speak to it. But you look, Kennedy wasn't supposed to win. He wasn't the party favorite. Mm-hmm. So you've Jimmy Carter certainly wasn't the party favorite. Reagan wasn't. Well, that's the, what I'm saying. Back in, yeah, in yeah, those that's years, I'm making the individual. I think before yeah. that, before FDR, it was the back rooms and smoke and, and mm-hmm. you know, the cigars. Fez, you might, were you in the back room? Is that when you smoked the cigar, <laughs> picking the president? <laughs> well, we, we do have succession, though, right? Remember when um, Kendall was saying, like, uh, you should be with me, you should be with me, and Tom goes, you know what we're doing back at the hotel? We're picking the next president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and then Greg, Craig or Greg? No, Greg. Greg, Greg, Greg goes, yeah. I think you guys are getting more votes. He goes like, do I get a vote? Yeah. And Roman I don't goes, think my vote well, yeah, you can vote in November. Yeah. <laughs> because I think you guys got a different vote than I got. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess if you're in that room, you can appreciate it, right? Yes. Well, you know, it is interesting at the end where, where uh, Greg said who needs a soul like it felt like the, a lot of the show was him kind of getting won over by the evil side i love succession wouldn't you agree aj you love it it's a good show what what show is as good as succession right now mm, i like better call Saul more than succession really yeah did you like breaking bad i did but better call Saul's better than breaking bad hmm. i'm behind i gotta catch up on better call i'm Saul. not sure have you seen any of it yeah so the first like two three seasons and you liked it yes I saw the first like five episodes and I dropped off it. But I heard that the, the year four and five when Gus got back, well, Gus mm-hmm. was great, but I heard the last year or two has been not as No, I disagree. Okay. We're going to time shift this because this went longer <laughs> than I expected. So this is going to be the end of the episode. So, Fez, we'll let you fade us out right here with, with your little, uh, little ending. Hey, hey, let's be careful out there. Time shifted, baby. That's the way we do it. We don't need Einstein or relativity. Just hit play in different spots. Talk to you next week.